0: All right, dark and early on a nice Saturday morning. You know, it's uh, it's a little rainy out there, and that's gonna come and come and go today. From what I'm seeing right now, it doesn't really look like we're gonna have a lot of big thunderstorms, or you know, anything that's just really too severe. The rain's just gonna come and go a little bit, and. uh, um, this shouldn't slow you down. There are a lot of fun events going on today. We'll talk about that in a little while. But, uh, anyway, Basil Fest and then, of course, the Secret Gardens Tour and our last seminar of the spring season on, uh, succulents and cacti that are coming up. But, uh, don't let the, don't let just the moisture slow you down. It's not going to be an all day rain from, for at least from what the forecasters are saying. And it doesn't look like we're going to get a whole lot of rain. Just going to be enough to, uh, maybe not want to make you go climb Enchanted Rock or or something like that. But anyway, so many things to talk about, so much to do. Uh, two lines open. Clint and Art from my first two callers got in early this morning. But if you'd like to get in early before the lines get so busy, uh, you know the number, 210 599 5555 We'll start with those questions as soon as I tell you that this initial part of the garden show is brought to you in part by our friends at Connecticut. And you know how I feel about Connecticut, how I love my Connecticut water softener, how I recommend them to you i know they're not the only good water softener on the market but you know let's face it those other units they're just not quite as good as a kinetico they run on electricity so what happens when the power goes out or worse still if you get a lightning strike and a power surge uh, you don't want to know what happens and of course they recharge on a preset schedule so they go off and recharge use a bunch of salt use a bunch of water whether the rosin needs to be recharged or not see the kinetico runs on the kinetic energy of Water. It doesn't plug in. It only recharges when the rosin needs to be recharged. And it's because it's a twin tank system. You're never without good soft water. What could be simpler than that? Competitively priced, and uh, I mean, they might have try before you buy plans if you like. I'd love my Kinetico system if I were doing it all over. Only thing I'd do is do it sooner. If you'd like to learn more, give me a call two ten six five six pure. Or you can simply go to Kinetico, K-I-N-E-T-I-C-O, Kinetico, S-A, is in San Antonio, dot com. All right, well, let's get started this morning, and first up is Clint. Good morning, Clint.
1: Good morning,
0: how are you doing? Ah, just doing well this morning. How about yourself? I
1: Oh, just hoping for some rain, should
0: need some more <laughs> oh, you know it's amazing how quickly it dries out, but uh driving toward San Antonio seemed like closer I got to town, the more of it was coming down right it's just showers, it's just moving through and uh but we will get some moisture out of it, and I can pretty much promise you that nothing is going to be drying out today. The humidity's going to be high enough that uh uh what we've got is going to stay, and we'll just supplement it a little bit, so it's going to be a good day.
1: Well, maybe I'll get my rain dance, and I'll start reading south of San Antonio.
0: <laughs> yep. Just uh, just wish you could set the dial for exactly how much you need so that uh, you wouldn't get a flood, but you would get plenty to water the garden, water the crops, water the fields, whatever you need. But uh, as it is, we'll just smile and take it as it comes.
1: There you go. i got some bacteria going on in my hay field. i got some grazer going on. And right before I seeded, um, there were some high points in the field. So I used my three-point scraper to level all that for the flood irrigation. Okay. Wherever I scraped, the hay didn't. Not near as tall. As the areas that I didn't get scraped. Any idea what's going on?
0: Well, you know the the t- very topmost level of your soil is where most of your microbial life is, where your beneficial fungi are, whether your beneficial. Um bacteria are. These are the things that process the fertilizer, get it, and make it available to your crop. Plus, it's also the layer of soil that gets the best oxygen penetration. It's uh, probably the, the overall the best layer of soil for those roots to get started in. Now, a year from now, it's going to all be the same, but it's kind of like uh, eating the frosting off the cake first uh, and what you've got left behind isn't quite as sweet. And uh, that's kind of how your uh, hay grazer is viewing it is, hey, hey, this soil isn't quite as good as the soil around where I've got more microbial life, where I've got, uh, you know, better oxygen penetration into the soil. And that's going to correct itself. But, uh, I, you know, and that just popped into my mind. But I think icing on a cake is probably about as good an analogy as you can come up with. You just kind of scraped off the sweet spot and uh the areas all around it uh still have that and uh long term everything's going to work out fine but this first season it may take a little while to uh uh to get that upper layer of soil fill back up with the organic material with the microbial life that's in the soil with all the things uh that want to make your crops uh grow whatever you're planting in there whether it's you know hay or sorghum or corn uh it's going to make everything grow a little bit better so Uh, If you want to, if you have the capacity, and it's tough to do on a tall crop, but uh, if you could get into those areas with a little bit of compost tea or even a little bit of dry molasses, uh, um, I don't know how big an area we're talking about, but sometimes I'll just take a bucket because dry molasses doesn't weigh anything. I'm just going to walk out there and sling a few handfuls of it around depending on how big the area is, and that's going to kind of jumpstart things. It's not going to is not going to bring everything up to exactly the same level again, but uh, it's it's going to uh, kind of speed up the recovery, so to speak. You just took away the very best of the best, and it's going to take a little while for that uh, top to rebuild itself. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking, but what is wasn't sure. How, how deep is that sweet spot?
0: That depends on your soil type. Are you in uh, kind of a sandy uh, loam or you, uh, have you got, uh, some clay where you are?
1: Oh, uh, sandy loam, not in
0: I'd say that sweet spot is probably somewhere between three and six inches. Three and six. Okay.
1: Now, what was the formula again for the cornmeal tea? I got a spray by, um, my pomegranate soap to keep any kind of fungus from attacking them and stuff and you said to spray them with
0: that well uh, making a cornmeal tea i'm going to use the equivalent of maybe a fourth of a cup of cornmeal per gallon of water and where i'm going to be running it through a sprayer i'm going to put that cornmeal in uh you know, a paint strainer's bag or, you know, girlfriend's old pantyhose or something like that so that I can soak the cornmeal overnight and then just, you know, pull the whatever the container is out and not have to worry about straining it. Otherwise, you better strain your your, uh, corn water tea before you run it through your sprayer or or it can certainly clog. But I'd I'd figure on an average, maybe a fourth of a cup of cornmeal per gallon of spray that you want to create. Five gallon bucket. I'm going to put about a cup of cornmeal in there.
1: Okay, and the that mesh is that reusable? Or is that one-time
2: use?
0: You know, as cheap as cornmeal is, um, I'd be, I'd be, you know, putting fresh cornmeal. Now, whether you want to save the strainer bag or not, these things cost maybe fifty, sixty cents. I'm not going to go to the trouble. But if you want to turn it inside out, rinse it real thoroughly, yeah, you could probably get two or three uses out of it.
1: Oh, well, my kids said I'm pretty tight. So
0: <laughs> frugal. Let's use the word frugal. You know, uh, the neighbor's tight, but Dad's frugal.
1: <laughs> there you go. Now, one last strange question, a little off of, off of gardening. Have you known buzzards to go after chickens?
0: Now, say that one more time. What goes after chickens? Buzzards. You know, that's. I have heard of buzzards actually going after live animals, but it's not common at all. They'd have to be. Uh, pretty darn hungry, or they would, you know, have to think that the animal is uh, – I know that uh, that they'll – I have a friend that complains he'll sometimes go after uh, his uh, goats when they're in the process of birthing, but uh, they don't go after a healthy animal. Uh, hawks certainly will. Uh, owls certainly will at night. But uh, I uh, – you know, I won't say it's unheard of, but it's very unusual – uh, for buzzards to go after live chickens, are these the black buzzards or the uh, uh, the turkey buzzards that have the kind of reddish head, or the gray buzzards, uh, black buzzards that have uh, a gray head?
1: Uh, they're the gray-headed buzzards.
0: Yeah, I won't say it's impossible, but uh, um, it's it's not likely. I've I've not seen them. I don't know that any of my circle. Of uh, farming and ranching friends, like I say, they've they've told me about them going after goats or sheep, uh, you know, at that time that they're birthing and things like that. But uh, it's it's not a common occurrence. I'll put it that way.
1: Well, I've over the time over the last uh, couple of months or so, I've had them basically trying to ambush right up above my chicken coop. Really, and, uh, the chickens all freaked out and and. They live in different spots, and I just luckily, I was. At uh, first, I thought they were, um, you know, hawks, but now they were the black-headed, gray-headed buzzard. And, and it's kind of peculiar because I've never seen them, uh, like I said, more in an ambush spot, just real low in the trees above the coop and where the chickens hang out.
0: It's unusual. Well, I tell you, this 4th of July, I'd stock up on some extra firecrackers or cherry bombs or something like that and see if you can give them a little surprise and let them know that's not a real good place to hang out. It's either that or 410. But, uh you know, buzzards are uh very good at cleaning up carrion and do a lot of things. So I don't want to eliminate the buzzards, but I sure want to. Uh, Suggested them that they might want to go somewhere else and uh, not bother my chickens. Go back to the roadkill that they uh, <laughs> that we're happy to let them have. Yeah,
3: they usually uh, they
1: usually spook real easy when you're walking towards them.
0: And stuff, oh yeah. So they know when they're up to something they're not supposed to be doing.
1: It, it's this is peculiar. I thought well, well, the first time. well, this is something strange. And the second, two other times, like oh uh, okay, this is not this is not a coincidence. They're up to
0: something. Well, I, I, it must be a learned behavior of some sort, because like you, I don't think that's normal behavior for them. But, uh, as, you know, as a, a lecture I heard said one time, activity which is rewarded will be repeated. And one of them found out, hey, these things are pretty defenseless, and hey, that's a free and easy meal. And so you may just have a couple of buzzards that have become habituated to, you know, ambushing something live. Is it two or three, or is it a big flock of them?
4: No,
1: it was, uh, first time it was just one, and uh-huh. then the second time it was two of them, and just different spots right above the coop area in the tree, and, and they were in the very low parts of the tree, not
5: yeah. right on top. And I've you
1: know, I, I never known a roost. I, I've never seen a uh, buzzard roost other than the big, uh,
0: yeah, with power towers and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, to the best of my knowledge, they are a protected species, so you can't shoot at them. But I'd sure put the fear of whatever eats buzzards in them and uh, see if you can't discourage that behavior
1: and yelling, they look pretty good.
0: <laughs> well, it needs it needs to make them fear for their lives. So, like I say, uh, uh, stock up on a couple extra noisemakers Fourth of July when the fireworks stands are open, and uh, you might have a little bit of fun at the same time you're discouraging an improper behavior.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing those brown chicken hawks are pretty protected too, aren't
0: they? Um to the best of my knowledge now i'd i'd ask a game warden about it but uh if uh if you can show that they are have become a nuisance um and if you can convince uh uh, parks and wildlife of that and i don't really know what it takes to do that but i know that uh sometimes they'll even let a rancher shoot deer out of season if they're doing just an unacceptable amount of damage to their crops so uh, I would direct that uh, that that question to parks and wildlife and not the not the person who answers the phone, but somebody that's out in the field in your area uh, call your sheriff's department and ask them how to get hold of the local game warden and uh, chances are he or she is a very reasonable person that they may not say yes, but they will give you uh, the full scenario and let you know what your options are right. well good to. Appreciate- it's always good to talk to you, Clint. Don't have the best phone connection in the world, so I'll let you go and move on to Art, and then it'll be Billy. Good morning, Art. Hey, g- greetings,
6: Bob. Good uh, morning. Quick questions: uh, fertilization, uh, vegetables, pomegranates, grapes, uh, peach, or a uh, plum tree, and so on. Generally, when I prepare the soil, I, I go ahead and mix some growing green in.
0: Same thing and I
6: then, do. Uh, Overall, if I want to use one fertilizer or liquid, has to grow a plant, is that adequate for all of those?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. It's fine. All right. And. You know, here's here's the thing about a liquid fertilizer versus a dry fertilizer. Liquid fertilizer is going to be more rapidly available to your crops because yeah. it gets into the root zone, it gets down to where your microbes are and where you know, as the saying goes, you feed the soil and the soil feeds your plants and a dry fertilizer is slower to go into action, so to speak, but it's longer lasting um the you know if you're if you're going to rely on just that one application of dry fertilizer early in the season then after a couple of months you're going to need to be using that has to grow every two or three weeks i'm going to be you know applying dry fertilizer again after about three months and i'm just going to supplement with the has to grow or i tell you i'm using some of that medina's new fish fertilizer and i'm really liking that i uh, the plants seem to really like it too. I, it'll take a little bit longer. I've only been using it for about six weeks, but uh, I'm kind of alternating that with the has to grow on my orchids and some of the things in my own vegetable garden. And, uh, I don't know. I think plants kind of like a little varied diet every now and then. But uh I'm going to be using the the dry granular more than once. Obviously, the second and third applications have to go on the surface. They can't be blended in with the soil. But uh that way, if I decide to take my fly rod and go off for a week somewhere or, you know, I'm off at a gift market or something else, I'm not saying, well, I'm going to miss my application liquid fertilizer. I wish I wasn't going to do that. It just kind of bulks up your soil, bulks up your plants a little bit so that uh, you don't have to be so on the spot every two or three weeks with the liquid. So I, I think you've got a good program going, but if you want to simplify it uh, uh, just a little bit, uh, what I would do is add some of that dry fertilizer two, three months later and then I'd do it again two, three months after that. This will be especially true of your perennials, like uh, your grapes, uh, like your peaches. Vegetables, it kind of depends on the crop. If it's a crop like beans that are all picked and gone after uh you know after a couple of months then i think you're fine to just use the dry and not really worry about a whole lot else but uh where you've got something is going to be extended over a longer season yeah i'm going to fertilize with the dry a couple of times take okra for example i planted okra yesterday okay. and uh, i'm going to i put the dry in before when it's something growing i'll use the liquids but uh, Three months from now, August, I'm just, uh, you know, still in a big harvest mode. So I'm going to put some more dry down and then just follow up with that liquid every now and then and uh, kind of maximize my, maximize my production. <laughs> Gardening can be a bit of work, and uh, I love pickled okra. You know, there's just an awful lot of good things to do with it. So I want to get uh, every, every bit I can out of every crop I plant.
6: Well, for me... Okra is the absolute last thing I'll do. <laughs> I tried that Oscar once, yeah, and those things went seven, eight foot tall. And uh, my wife loves it. Uh, of my experience is the army; all they ever had was boiled okra.
5: Yeah, and
6: that uh, you know, I, I I'd rather go to Vietnam than, than stay there and eat that stuff.
0: Well, I had a very wise aunt. She started me out on fried okra. Uh, which anybody in their right mind likes and then she gradually took away the cornmeal and the frying and got me eating all sorts of good okra and if it's spiced up properly yeah i i eat it in a lot of different forms now but i i hear where you're coming from but anyway just if it's crop you're going to pick from over a longer period of time tomatoes would be another one i'm going to follow up with some dry fertilizer after two or three months because i'm expecting my tomatoes to produce for a longer period of time but i just some weeks, I don't have time to mix and put on the liquids, so it's good knowing that there's already some nutrient for the plants uh, still to feed on in the ground, if that makes sense.
6: Okay. Uh, Other than economics, is is there anything bad uh, when I spray them to use Bt and spinosad and a little, you know, uh, liquid uh, molasses? I mean, is a no or a go or... What?
0: We're in a world where all of a sudden we are aware of decreasing butterfly populations, of decreasing honey bee populations. So I most of my spraying these days is reactive rather than proactive, and uh, spinosad is, can be detrimental to bees. BT can certainly be damaging to all caterpillars, um, and I use it when I have to, but otherwise I'll leave put away.
6: Okay. Already? Well, okay. I start, seed started a bunch of chilies. Uh, I don't know, New Mexico 6 4 mm-hmm. hatch chilies. Yeah. Uh, from seed leaves. They're coming up. Just starting to get the first leaves. And then I uh, planted some Magnifico uh, seed started uh, poblanos. Uh huh. I, I planted them later. And they're bigger already. Yeah. Now, to pot those up, I can now take it from my seed starting mix and put it in a uh, potting mix.
0: Yeah, potting mix and, or even your garden soil.
6: Okay, and then the fact they got the first true leaves, now is the time to lightly fertilize them.
0: Right? Um, I fertilize them from the time they germinate, but that's, you know, that's okay. up to you. Okay. Now with first All true right. leaves, you can very definitely do that. Report back to me because most people... Um hatch chilies are more of a high-altitude chili, and I don't know many people yeah. who have really done well with them here, Art. So uh, you're regular sure, caller. Sure. Get back to me on uh, on keep up with varieties and let me know which ones do best for you, and I'll be very interested in hearing back. And uh, in the meantime, you get out and have a wonderful day. Okay.
6: Thank you, Bob. You've been
0: helpful. Always yeah, a pleasure. A great one. See you later. All right, Bye. sir. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening. Two lines open, actually. We're going we to talk to Billy and then talk to Jeff. But if you're just waking up joining us, you know the numbers to push 210-599-5555. And I'm just going to hit line number three right there and say good morning, Billy. Hello. Good morning, sir.
7: Morning, Bob. Uh, hey, these black-headed buzzards, they are for real. i uh, We've got a place down south around crystal city and we've actually lost calves to these really? things i raised spanish goats uh-huh. here in the San Antonio area last year i lost over 30 head of kids from these things wow it usually starts off with two or three and man whenever they get started it's like they call in all the neighbors and the game is on you can get a permit from Texas Parks and Wildlife to get rid of them, but that just opens up another hole.
0: Sure, sure. all big
7: ball of wax there and everything. And what they'll do, they'll separate the, the mama from the baby, and they'll peck their eyes out. Oh, wow. And the only thing the only thing they will eat is the eyes, the nose, and then they'll start on the rear end, and then they leave. And then, of course, your turkey buzzards, which I don't have a problem with, will uh come in and and clean
0: up behind them well so, you're you're educating me and i appreciate it i'd uh i hope your parks and wildlife guys are as easy to work with as mine i i know my friends up in wyoming they sometimes practice uh or people i know of up there i know my, my friends don't do it but uh uh they practice the three s's which is shoot shovel and shut up but uh here in texas i i've never had anything but pleasant dealings with parks and wildlife so uh, i i appreciate the information and i very much appreciate knowing that there is a remedy even if it involves a a little bit more paperwork i'm sure there are good reasons for it it's kind of us having a discussion about getting grass carp into a lake to control algae and yeah you have to get a permit yeah you have to do this you have to do that but it's for the overall good of the ecosystem so Sometimes it's just one of those things you put up with doing. But I appreciate the education, Billy. Learn something from you this morning. How well, can I help you?
7: Well, now our game warden down south. I did have a lengthy conversation with him, uh-huh. and he just said, "Well, I know what I would do if they were mine." <laughs> I, that's, that's kind of all we need to know, yep. about, you know. And so they they will work with you on that. Yeah, I mean, but, yep. yeah, they are definitely a detriment so anyway okay well that's all i got i just uh i really have a disdain for those things but it's neither here nor
0: there well listen bye. i appreciate well, you I, I i really appreciate you taking the time to share with us <laughs> not a problem you have a good day you do the same sir thanks so much all right thank you uh-huh bye. bye all right we're back to the top of the board which is jeff and then we'll talk to tom good morning jeff
8: Good morning, Bob.
1: I have a question on okra and cucumber. Yes, sir. Can I still uh, plant them at this time for some seeds?
0: Yes, sir. I think the soil is warm enough now, and... uh um, I planted my cucumbers about two weeks ago. I planted my okra yesterday. And in both cases, that's a little bit later than I would normally do it. But uh, the soil is really warming up. Um, I know I planted black eyes fairly recently, and they were up in three days. So I think your soil is warm enough, you'll be just fine planting uh, both okra and cucumbers now.
9: I'm On to the okra.
0: Um, uh, what, what about the okra now?
1: Can I still plant the
0: okra the oh time? yes yes absolutely this is a perfect time i think it's uh uh like i say i just planted uh well actually it was thursday i just planted uh my okra and uh uh, the soil just has to be good and warm for okra, and it's been slow warming up this year. But I think we're in perfect time now. Just uh, don't get out there; the lightning's bouncing around. But uh, today would be a great day to plant okra. Any kind you like. I always plant some red okra and some green okra. Uh, they both taste the same, but it just makes a little bit, you know, prettier, prettier dish to have <laughs> more than one color in there. But uh, I would very definitely get your okra planted uh, any time now.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Bob. You're certainly Appreciate welcome. It. Appreciate the call, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Let's uh, let's talk to Tom. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, it's just another great Saturday. Looking forward to it as always. Another day in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of the way I view uh, part of the world we live in. I, there are a lot of places I really enjoy visiting, but there's just nowhere like the hill country to call home. Yep.
3: No place like home. Yeah, I got a little issue. I planted two uh, little peach trees. Okay. Last year, got them from planting Cloth, Feliciana. Oh, they just performed it. Excellent. Got a dozen little golf ball peaches off each one of them.
6: And I've been feeding them and everything. And this year, uh, yesterday, me and my wife drove out of the driveway going to the T-ball game. You know how that goes. And yes, I sir. And I looked at them, and they're just
3: skin and bones. So the freaking cut go. got them.
0: Well... Cut ants are an issue, and peaches are one of their favorite targets. Now, um, the nice thing about having a single-trunk tree is it's really easy to stop the cut ants uh, without going to the trouble of trying to find their mound and kill them out. Um, you don't want to put it directly onto the bark of the tree, and the product I'm talking about is called Tanglefoot. It's a sticky... Oh, i heard you talk about that. It's uh, it's <laughs> it's the stickiest stuff you've ever seen. But you go up uh, enough where it's not rain's not going to splash up on them. But you go up maybe a foot up the trunk of that tree and wrap uh, one or two layers of aluminum foil, or wrap a couple of layers of plastic wrap around there get mm-hmm. your tangle foot, and spread about a two-inch wide band. You don't do a real narrow band. The blasted ants will just take throw one of their buddies on it and just walk right across uh, the top, his back. But you put it about a, an inch-and-a-half, two-inch wide band, and I just use a wooden tongue depressor or something that you can just throw away after you're through with it and just make a nice, sticky, gooey band of that stuff around the trunk then cut ants absolutely will not go up it they they can't walk across that stuff and uh at some point you may want to track down the colony you may want to treat it with uh and i've had some people that sulfur worked well for i've had some that thought beneficial nematodes worked well had another person that put diatomaceous earth around every opening they could find different people seem to find different things that will kill the fire ants or the cut ants but i want to stop them from taking the leaves off my crops and then i'll go looking for the mound now things like some of the things in your vegetable garden and some of the flowers like begonias you obviously can't do that to stop them there because there's no trunk to wrap but where you have got a couple of peach trees or apple trees peach trees seem to be one of their favorites just uh wrapping something around that trunk and then smearing the tangle foot on top of it uh about it's it's quick, it's easy, and it's cheap, and all those things fit real well into my way of gardening.
6: Well, I bet I can get that at fannix can I?
0: I would think so. You might want to give him a call before you go over there, but uh It's uh, on the market, and certainly anybody has access to it. But uh, call Mark or Mike over there, and the number, of course, is 210-648-1303. I dial that one often enough that it's in my head, but uh, (laughs) 648-1303. Check before you make that drive, but uh, I'll bet you they've got it on the shelves.
6: Well, it's okay with me making the drive, because they got
0: something over there I need anyway. Well, I'm glad you view it that way. Uh, It's kind of like our place. I tell people, people are always comparing us to the botanical garden because shades of green is so pretty, but I tell them, Mm -hmm. Oh, no, the difference is real easy at the botanical garden. You pay to get in at shades of green, you pay to get out. And that's kind of the way it is going to Phanix. I don't, (laughs) I'm usually, I've got something in my hand or in the back of my vehicle. uh, When I leave Phanix, when we go over to do a remote or whatever, plus, uh, you know, fanics well, are just oh, good people over
1: there. i love them yeah, yep. they're nice people
0: yep they are you
1: think those little trees will pop back
0: out oh yeah yeah, yeah. i don't think there's a problem at all i would uh you know I'd, I'd probably hit them with a little extra shot of fertilizer and um just depending on what the rains do uh today looks to be one of those more teasing rains where it seems like it rains but it hadn't amounted to much so you may need to give um, a little bit of supplemental water but uh I don't think there's any doubt at all those trees will come right back out for you. Well,
6: great deal. I've been staying right up on them and watering them and everything, and I bought two little old tangerine trees for them a couple of weeks ago.
0: Well, go ahead and I wrap got those.
10: They already got tangerines on
0: them. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. It's uh, Tangerines, of course, are the most cold-hardy of our citrus, and uh, mm-hmm. you ought to get a, a what'd you get, miho or sito. Which one did you plant? I got one of both, one of both. Yeah, I, I always like doing that. I always like a variety. And the mm-hmm. difference in those two is going to be basically just in the shape of the fruit. But uh, they're both excellent producers. They are both don't have a very high seed count. And um, next time around, maybe you'll be planting some of those uh, good Asian persimmons. Or, like you say, when you go to Phoenix, there's always something you need to come home with. Oh, yeah, can't come home empty-handed. <laughs> Tom, you get out and enjoy this weekend, and uh, keep your keep your fingers crossed for a good rain. God bless you, brother. Thank you, sir. You as well. We'll talk again. All right, you can tell the world's waking up, because I have three people to talk to now, Faye, Eric, and Cheryl, and Faye's at the top of the list. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh,
11: little rundown
8: on <laughs> what I'm thinking about in the garden, but Epsom salts, would you refresh uh, refresh us on uh, the use of them and and uh, how?
0: how Absolutely. And and why. Absolutely. In the vegetable garden, now Epsom salts are never going to hurt anything. They're magnesium sulfate is all they are and uh, there's certain plants like roses and some of the things outside the vegetable garden that we may put Epsom salts around as well. But in my vegetable garden, the only thing that I put Epsom salts on uh, are the tomatoes. And the reason I do that is tomatoes are real sensitive to having the balance of calcium and magnesium in the soil get out of whack and when that balance goes haywire you end up with this i guess have to call it a syndrome it's not a disease but you end up with this problem on tomatoes where the bottom of the tomato fruit turns discolors and then turns black and shrivels and it looks like a nasty disease or something like that the truth is if you just take a knife and slice it off the rest of the tomato is perfectly good to eat but it is cosmetically it is very unattractive and so that's what we use the epsom salts to prevent now we don't put it in the hole the way we do rock phosphate and things like that because what we're trying to do is change this calcium magnesium balance in the soil all around the tomato plant so for me it's just a big handful of Epsom salts just sprinkled on the so- on the top of the soil uh in maybe an 18-inch radius around each individual tomato plant and uh this is not something I'm doing real carefully. I'm walking down the road slinging out a handful of it around one tomato plant and going right on to the next one. But I find that doing it once a year is adequate to stop the blossom end rot. I guess if it's something you've had a real problem with, you might do it twice, about six weeks apart. If you don't get around to doing it and it starts showing up, you want really immediate results. And in that case, I would dissolve maybe two tablespoons to a gallon of water and just water the plants thoroughly with it. But if you do it at the time your tomatoes are just getting started and growing, uh, it's just something you don't have to worry about doing again. And blossom end rot should not be a problem for you
8: okay i just
0: uh picked a tomato and it was real soft at the bottom well a sign? soft at the bottom uh there will definitely be some discoloration uh if the tomato is soft at the bottom i guess that could be an early sign of blossom end rot or it may just be a physiological response to the weird weather and all the rain especially you guys have been having but uh uh it's just it epsom salts are cheap they're safe and you can get them at the grocery store, the drug store. It's just for me. It's just a little crop insurance, so to speak, to be sure it doesn't show up.
8: Well, I'll do that today. Thank you for for that. Certainly. And another question, uh, kind of along that line, but on squash, where uh, can anything enter if I have those vines? Those vines in an overall healthy plant that that are shriveling, or for some reason not good, or that. Uh, or or a leaf is 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 no longer good. Is there any problem with cutting that off? Does anything enter?
0: No. Uh, no, it's not like you know, painting it. the wound on an oak tree or something like that. Just uh snip snip step. I prefer to cut rather than pull because I've looked at a leaf that I thought was going to come right out and if I tugged on a little too hard it kind of split the stem as the leaf came off so i do think you're better to cut it off than to pull it off but there's no thought of anything entering through that spot that you cut the leaf
8: oh good and uh another thing i thought about is there anything that's too late to
0: put in now season wise um We are getting a little late on large-fruited tomatoes, simply because large-fruited tomatoes are going to stop setting fruit when the nights get real hot. So if I'm planting tomatoes this late, I'm going to focus on the cherry tomatoes uh, rather than on the big-fruited. Now, come middle of June, I'm going to be planting more more uh, big-fruited tomatoes for my fall crop. But um, if I'm planting tomatoes this late, it's going to be on the small, the golf-size a golf ball size, rather than the bigger ones. Um, I think just about everything else can still be planted for the summer garden. I do change varieties on beans, for instance. Uh, my first bean of the my first crop of beans is virtually always this uh, little, very. Thin thin very tasty bean called tavera t-a-v-e-r-a just a personal taste i love that bean but it doesn't do well once the summer's heat hits but that's the thing with bush beans they're only going to produce for three or four weeks they're not an all summer crop like tomatoes or okra or even peppers are so if i were planting more bush beans then i probably need to go ahead and get another row of beans started it's a it will be a good project next time I have a few minutes to spend in the garden. But if I'm planting beans this late, I'm planting contender or top crop instead of tavera because uh, ten, uh, contender and top crop are both much more heat tolerant. But uh, no, I think just I think you've still got plenty of time to plant eggplant and peppers, cucumbers, more squash, uh, uh, let's say ochre. I think it's just getting to be time for so um, you know, you just put anything in that you haven't gotten around to doing yet.
8: Well, that's great, and and there is some of some of that <laughs> things that didn't get done. <laughs>
0: well, it's we have had a very unusual spring weather-wise, and uh, I don't know. For me, it's just been a very busy spring because I've had uh, various other. Uh, both nursery projects at our business and ranch product projects at my ranch. And the blasted days just aren't long enough to, for me to get everything done that I really want to do. So I'm always behind, but I'm never bored.
8: Well, isn't that good that, that we have what we have going on? I'm and, thankful uh,
0: for it every day, <laughs> Faye, as I know you are. <laughs>
8: Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Bob. You covered us uh, very well on all of those issues, and I'll talk to you next
0: time. Look forward. Thanks. I'll look forward to it. You're certainly welcome. Eric is up next. Good morning, Eric. Well, good morning, Bob. First thing, can you hear me? Because I'm in a metal building
12: and in in Windale.
0: Yeah, I'll give you about an eighty percent rating for voice quality, but that's still uh, that's still good enough. How can I help today?
12: a good long time no talk but that's because we've been been uh, moving ourselves out here and building the barn dominium and so that uh we've been pretty
0: busy i know the uh, feeling this was year i chose to build a new greenhouse at home and uh it's just it's just an order of priorities you know something's got to something's got to go to the bottom of the list when you put something else at the top of the list so i understand and i hope your project's going well
12: yeah it is and uh Speaking of percolating back to the top, I'm back in the garden and the orchard again. And we had, uh, even though we had just terrible winter weather as far as for citrus up here, we managed to protect our, our grapefruit, and it just had a bazillion blossoms mm-hmm. on it. And we came back and started seeing little little fruit forming on there, and came back a couple weeks later, there wasn't a fruit on there. And it almost looked like something had nibbled off every little bud that had, or fruit bud that had formed on there. And I wondered if is there. I heard you talking about cut ants, but we don't have any other of the evidences of cut ants. But yep. something is is knocking those off.
0: Well, what, you think what my suspicion, and I. You know, there's nothing, very few, very few things are absolute in the world of gardening, but what happened to a lot of people is we had uh, a relatively late freeze after a lot of the little citrus had been pollinated, and... um it It wasn't enough to really cause a lot of visible damage, but it was enough to in effect kill the developing embryo in that fruit the the seed making part of it, and the little seed will get up to the size or i mean the little fruit will get up to the size somewhere between an English pea size and size of a small marble. And something chemically tells the plant, hey, I'm not making any seeds. And the plant says, okay, well, I'm not doing this for fun. If we're not going to produce any seed, then off you go, and we'll save the energy to make a productive fruit next time. And so that happens, in citrus is what it happens more commonly on than anything else out there. We get a late freeze. uh The little fruit starts to form, but it got cold enough that – uh Uh, the developing seed froze and that's why plants make fruit it's not to please us it's not because you know that some says they have to do it the purpose of the fruit is to make seed to reproduce the plant and when something interferes with the ability of that plant to make seed then The plant just drops them off, and it will happen literally overnight. Virtually, had you been there to see it, I think you would have noticed one day the little tiny grapefruit were slightly discolored. The next day, they were yellow. The next day, they were gone.
12: Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, we thought we had protected it well enough from the freeze. You know, we put frost covers over it, and, and... but evidently not quite enough.
0: Now, the the good news of it is that when something happens and keeps your grapefruit tree from producing a crop this, this year, next year is likely to be the biggest bumper crop you have ever seen and people are going to be locking their doors so you're not trying to leave more grapefruit in the kitchen. So uh um oh. It's, it's kind of like the Spurs, no offense to Greg and all these good guys, but wait till next year. We seem to be hearing that pretty often, and unfortunately a lot of gardeners are hearing that on some of their citrus this year.
12: Okay. One other quick question, and I've never seen this before on our blackberries, which we've got a great crop of blackberries this year. There is a little bug that's about half again as big as a pinhead on there, I can't tell what it's doing, but every time we pick blackberries, this this little black bug with yellow spots on a little tiny thing
0: Yes, little beetle.
12: Little, it's craw- crawling around. It's very soft-bodied. It's not like a a normal uh, hard beetle or anything. Right, but, right.
0: Is you know, something worry about her. Or- um, I would judge. Sometimes I think they do a little bit of damage. But my experience is that you can pretty much just wash them off. Just get out there and you know put the thumb over the end of the hose, or uh, you know a little bit of a uh, maybe a dram four hundred nozzle on it that breaks up the water into real fine droplets. Just wash them away and don't worry about it.
12: Okay, good. Yeah, we haven't noticed any any particular damage, but I, this is the first time I've ever seen them, so I thought, oh.
0: Well, if you're like me, a lot of those blackberries go straight from the vine to the mouth. And uh, let's just say it's not very pleasant to realize that you've certainly put a bug in your mouth. So <laughs> I like to wash them off before I go pick. got it i appreciate it i don't mean to create such a such a visual picture for you but it'll remind you to do it before you go out and do that because i'm sure that if you're like me there's plenty of stuff that's just too irresistible my employees eat a lot of things out of my garden but i think they perennially think that i'm a lousy blackberry grower because very few of those come into the nursery to be shared (laughs)
12: <laughs> oh, that was – I'm glad you mentioned about, about that because it, it, it tickled my third question and I'm trying to remember. Um, Is I've got a, a lot of – and I say a lot. I, I have a half dozen, maybe a dozen or so volunteer asparagus from my main bed that popped up throughout the orchard. Mm-hmm. Do I – Wait till the winter to transplant them, the, the
0: crowns? No, or? no. Go ahead and go ahead and do it any time. Just, you know, get a – these are small plants. Just use a broad shovel uh, rather than your little sharpshooter. And just get a, a good little shovel full of dirt. Have your new hole ready and just one shovel full of dirt. The asparagus sitting on it one minute. and Next second, it's back in the ground. You're firming the soil around it. It's just in a new home.
12: Okay, perfect. That's now great, I would great. probably
0: wait till cold weather to transplant a mature crown, but a young plant, no. It's going to happen this afternoon if I'm working in the garden.
12: Okay, I will. You take care. Great talking to you Good again. Good
0: to talk to you, Eric. Hope we won't wait so long next time. All right. Well, right now it's just uh, Cheryl first and then David. A couple of open lines. You know the number, 210-599-5555. while I say say good morning, Cheryl.
13: Good morning, Bob. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. How about you?
13: Oh, I'm doing just great. I wanted to call you also and thank you. For over the years, you have helped me grow some really fabulous plants and trees and gardening i've learned so much from you (laughs) and howard garrett
0: well it's been my pleasure and i'm sure howard's as well
13: oh yes and and you make everything so easy
0: well i make the theory easy it's still hard work and you have to provide that part of it it's just my job to keep you from making all the mistakes that i've made in my gardening career so that part of it's lots of fun for me
13: well and you can save yourself a lot of Headache by using the right products. So
0: there you go.
13: I use, you know, Howard and I use uh, Medina. Yeah. And I love Medina. I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, seven months ago, and the climate here is pretty much the same. The soil is worse, but uh, they've never heard of Medina products or Howard Garrett or anything so I'm having to educate everyone.
0: Well, it's a little easier for them to get Howard Garrett than it is to get Medina products, but I'm glad you're doing I'm glad you're doing a good job of both. And uh Well.
13: Well, I get them from Amazon.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
13: And 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 uh but I swear by them. They're um, excellent products.
0: I'm glad you've when had I good luck.
13: Going on, oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: Oh, that's all right. When Go I right ahead.
13: What I've got going on right now is something I've never grown before, and it's it, I, I just do organic gardening. But this is, I, I didn't even know what it was until last week when I heard you talking about it, but it's a, a, a determinate tomato. I don't know what the variety is, but it blooms profusely and puts out the prettiest, well, maybe palm-sized, tomatoes that you can pick right off of the vine and eat them. They're just as sweet as they can be, and um, um, you don't have to put salt or anything on them. Just pick them and eat them. And uh, what I want to know is, it's the type of, I I don't know what the uh, variety is. It, It gets to be a really pretty bright red when it's completely ripe, but when you cut it, it's light green inside.
0: Hmm, golly, that doesn't narrow it down a whole lot. You know, there, there are literally thousands of varieties of tomatoes out there, and um, it could be porter. Is it about a golf ball-sized tomato, or how large a tomato is it?
13: Um, it's, uh, let's see, golf ball. Maybe a little bit bigger than a golf ball.
0: And is the skin red, or is the skin yellow?
13: No, it's red as it can be.
0: Oh boy, could be Arkansas Arkansas really Travelers exotic. and yeah, Arkansas Travelers another one that kind of fits into that bill. But you know, I would uh, just save some seed. It maybe it's an heirloom variety that will come true from seed, and uh, that's the best way to be sure to have it again. But I'm I'm afraid I couldn't tell you for sure what variety that is. Uh, maybe somebody who knows tomatoes a little bit better than I do will call in and give us a varietal name. But
14: oh, that would be
0: great. Yeah. But uh, the closest thing that comes to my mind is Arkansas Traveler, which is a bit lighter. I don't know that I would say it green, but uh, try Arkansas Traveler sometime. That's, that's a good tomato as well, and also a real tasty tomato to grow.
13: That's the way this one is. How long do they generally flower and bloom out like that, the, the determinant type?
0: Um, the determinants just grow to a certain size and stop growing. That's the difference in a determinant and an indeterminate, which just makes a big vine. Determinate tomatoes pretty much just are going to put on their fruit all at one time. And then there's not a lot you can do to get them to to do any more. That's why you have to plant more than one crop of them. Whereas your indeterminate types will just keep on growing like a big vine and just keep making more and more fruit.
13: Well, this one seems to be really a no fuss We've had no uh, bug problems or anything with it. It's in well, a big pot,
0: and, you,
13: and since everything is organic that we use, it's just we don't have any issues.
0: Well, it sounds like a good one to grow. Sounds like you've you've found a, a good variety for you, Cheryl. We've got a bad yeah. connection, and it's a little hard to understand. So let's talk again on that. All right. I'm going to have to jump around just a little bit. David's first, then it is going to be Jenny, then it's going to be Joy, then it's going to be Paul. So let's start with David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I've got a
3: couple of different questions at uh, two of our different properties. First one we're going to take is Pasadena. Last okay. Last week we had some uh, flooding rains there. We've got a green belt behind us. We took in an area back there that my wife uses for a dog run uh, for her pet sitting business. Okay. Uh, Got all of our dogs on uh, Comfortis. Right after the sump pump pumped that water out, started letting our dogs out, they started bringing in fleas, which we've never had a problem with before. Yeah. So I'm at our other location in Utopia right now, headed back there. She bought some uh, nematodes, which I'm going to put out later on today. Good. Uh, Question is, how long do they last? How do you mix them up i I've heard it, but I can't remember it.
0: Are they on little are they on little blue sponge?
3: They're on a sponge, but it's not blue it's brown but
0: okay a million of them okay and um well, I hope it's the good blend uh the company we use is called Hydro Gardens and they they put it on there i know but if 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 this company is is giving you a blend that they say controls fleas um i you're probably in good shape what you will want to do is simply put that sponge in water briefly maybe five minutes and then i just sort of take my thumb usually you'll see like a little goo somewhere on the sponge that's where all your nematodes are just very gently rub that these are not going to hurt you in any way and just get the nematodes out into the water Spray that solution of nematodes, uh, uh, the soil needs to be moist, uh, because the, the nematode actually moves in a film of water. So, uh, when you first put them out, the soil needs to be pretty moist for them to get through the soil to where they're going to fly in and kill all the fleas. Once they're in the ground, if there's enough moisture to maintain plant life, there's enough to keep the nematodes going. But um, uh, you just need to have it fairly moist when you put it out. Now, once you buy the sponge, uh, assuming that it was fresh, you've got about two weeks, uh, two week window in which to put it out. Once you put the nematodes out, the individual nematode lives about 60 days. But as long as it is finding a host to reproduce in, such as a flea or a grub worm or any other range of creatures, uh, if they can go on reproducing as long as there's a target species for them, and the population will stay up for a long, long time. Once they have wiped out all the things that they would normally be targeting, uh, they've got about a sixty-day life, and have a flea break outbreak after that time. You might need to reapply, but around my place. Every time that I have used the beneficial nematodes, it's been like two years before I had to use them again.
3: My plan was, and I've listened to a couple other guys that you you talked to, is just drop them in a five-gallon bucket and then use that solution in a hose-end sprayer.
0: That's the way to do it. Uh, If your hose-end sprayer has that little tube that comes down right out of the center of the top, probably has a little filter on the bottom end. Just pop that off with your thumb because that filter could interfere with the uptake of the nematodes, but uh, that's what I do. I think that'll work very well for you.
3: I took that out a long time ago, and then yeah. I guess you run it on the maximum setting?
0: I run it uh, probably next to max. I think my maximum setting is uh, like six or 16 ounces to a gallon. I set it on somewhere between 6 and 8 ounces to a gallon.
3: Okay. Now, you're probably not going to like this, but your wife asked me to ask you. If at the end of like a month or two, what is your opinion of putting down a product, a granular product, called Biffin LP. It's granules, and it's supposed to last like three to four months.
0: I'm not putting down any toxic product, that especially one that has a longer life. Uh, I think the nematodes, uh, if you have a problem, the nematodes will be there to take care of it. Uh, if you don't have a problem, then uh, you don't need to be putting something down. So uh, if I'm,
3: it ain't broke, don't fix
0: it. Uh, you got it exactly. I'm Especially if I were taking care of other people's dogs, I would be reluctant to use anything that had a caution or warning label on it.
3: Good deal. Okay, uh, one more Pasadena question. You know, we had all the floods and all, and I'm the only one in the neighborhood. I guess it really sticks by an uh, organic schedule. My mistake might have been putting regular cornmeal from the uh, feed store down last year. All of a sudden, my lawn is full of, you name the weed, it's there. Dollar weed, the other weed that looks like dollar weed. Ironic thing is, people who let their lawns dry up last year have not got a single weed in their yard. Could that uh, cornmeal have caused that problem? No,
0: not at all. Not at all. What caused that problem is that number one we had lots of rain for the weeds to sprout. Uh number two it stayed so cool that our basic turf grass didn't get started. I mean my Bermuda has grown more the past two weeks and it's grown all spring. And so what we've happened have had is an ideal situation for weeds when it was too cool for the things that normally choke the weeds out to grow. So uh neighbors must just have had uh maybe a little bit thicker turf to start out with or heaven forbid maybe they're uh, putting down some nasty toxic stuff on their yards but your use of the cornmeal had nothing to do with it everybody all the normal people that i know that i'll put it that way and normal means people that are smart enough to not use the super toxic stuff um everybody i know has had weeds this year uh, now that the turf grasses are really growing, the weeds are going to be f- much, much less of a problem. Your lawnmower is all you really need to control them. But uh, it's uh, it's Mother Nature that's kind of uh, dealt you a bad hand, had a hand that's, of cards this year, but had nothing to do with cornmeal.
3: That's the way I was looking at it. And I usually just out-fertilize the weeds. I don't ever worry about them too much. But it just seemed like nature picked on me this year for some reason. <laughs> And, and like I said last fall, other people's lawns were they, uh, St. Augustine looked dead, and yeah. yet, there's not a weed on them. But anyway,
0: I'll bet you,
3: lungs,
0: I'll bet you they're putting out something that you and I wouldn't approve no, of. And
3: no, they're they're too lazy. <laughs> hmm. Trust me. Well, <laughs> anyway, m- moving to my other question, and I not want to hold you up. Our other property in Utopia. Uh, every year, it seemed like for the last three years, my gigantic mountain laurel has been stripped. And I'm not up there enough to catch them to hit them with the BP. Uh This year, of course, they hit it again. But we had something else that happened. My uh, Texas, I guess you call it Texas Sage? Yeah. Okay, I got six of them. They were completely stripped. Is there any preventative? Because I'm not up here full-time, that yeah. I can go down there to, to prevent that?
0: Or not, just, not, not really. you probably there. got some cut ants up there. Uh, when you use BT, put a little bit of molasses with it. That'll make it much longer-lasting. But I think you've got some cut ants, and you probably just need to try to locate that mound and kill it out. All right, uh, let's see. I've got one open line. Grab it if you like. We're going to talk to Jenny and Joey and Paul, and we'll do that just as soon as I'll tell you that this portion of the Garden Show is brought to you in part by our friends at New Earth Soils and Compost. And uh, getting hot, you know, if you're going to get the load of that New Earth compost and get it spread on your grass, you need to do it pretty soon. Tomorrow's going to be a pretty hot day. It looks like it's going to cool down a little bit over the next week. But, man, I just don't know anything that uh, – You know, that will give you a more weed-free, greener, more drought-tolerant yard than a good top dressing with good top-quality compost. And that manure compost from uh, New Earth, well, certified organic. So you know it's good stuff. Uh, They, of course, have good mulches, which is a great thing to be doing for the summer months. They have good soil mixes. And perhaps most excitingly, they are now putting so many good products into bags, eight different products in what they call their top shelf, line of products and those are even available at your bigger hebs if they have a garden section you're probably going to find new earth's top shelf products there compost and mulches and gosh just a wide range of potting soils perlite other products so that's the big news from New Earth soils and compost now in bags now available at most hebs all right well let's get back to these phone lines and uh first up is going to be jenny good morning jenny Hi, Bob. Good morning.
13: Uh, We're having a problem. Um, There are little worms that are hairy-like, and they have like a little antenna thing sticking up. They're eating up the leaves of all my hibiscus and a lot of my other plants. And you can see them like like they're on a string coming down from the trees above the deck.
0: They are the larval state of, uh, in this case, not a pretty mutter- butterfly, but one of these uh, kind of nondescript moths. If you can actually see them, where you could spray something on them, the insecticide called spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D, is oh, something that right. will will get rid of them almost instantly. It's a quick kill. It is safe for people. It is safe for pets. Um and uh, it's, it's, again, it's derived from a soil bacteria, and it's very, very effective. The other thing you can use, but I would confine it only to the areas that you have a problem, is what we call BT, stands for Bacillus thuringiensis, which is a, a product that you can spray. And by the way, I always add a little bit of molasses to it. They don't tell you that on the label, but it sure makes it work better. But you can spray this on the leaves of your plants, It stays for quite some time, and it remains active. A caterpillar takes one bite off a leaf of the plant that has been sprayed, stops feeding immediately, and dies within a few hours. And uh, yet it's totally safe for people and pets. We just don't go spray everywhere with it because we don't want to kill all the caterpillars. We don't want to, you know, we want to protect our fritillaries and our monarchs and uh the ones that you're talking about, though, those make a nondescript moth that nobody's going to miss if it's gone. Um, the, the, maybe the bird that was planted to eat it for lunch. But uh, my my only recommendation in using the Bt, well, two recommendations. Number one, add some molasses to the mix. And number two, only spray it in the area you're having a problem. Never get out and spray your whole yard with it.
4: Only spray it in that area.
0: Yeah. So you can either use Spinosad for a direct killer, or if you want something that stays on the plant, uh, anything that contains BT is, uh, uh, nobody wants to say Bacillus syringiensis, so we just call it BT, but both of those are totally safe for you and your family, two-legged and, and four-legged. The
13: Spinosad or whatever, is it a liquid you mix something with it? To uh, just
0: you mix it with water to spray
13: Oh, okay. And I'll
0: tell you how safe it is, is it's, we actually give it to our puppy dogs uh, in a veterinary product called Comfortis, and we give it to them as an oral flea preventative. So, you know me, okay. if it's not safe for my dogs, it's sure not going to go anywhere on my yard.
13: We have animals, too, and we don't want anything to happen to them. <laughs> right. So I will I'll tell my son. I hope he can take care of it. Thank
0: you. You're sure welcome, Jenny. Thank okay. you for the call. <laughs> goodbye Bye. all right uh next step is going to be joey and then paul and john good morning joy
15: good morning bob good morning thank you for taking my call thank you for calling uh, i have a couple of uh, tomato plants in containers okay something is eating my leaves i was turning them over couldn't find anything and then when i went out to water i have this infestation of like beetles they're kind of a brown and a yellow color okay and i'm assuming that's what's eating them because they're right there by my tomato plants
0: are you getting holes in the leaves or are you getting entire leaves eaten
15: well they were starting with holes but now it looks like i'm losing some of the leaves you know they're taking them down to the stem
0: Okay, Um, the most common leaf eater on a tomato plant is what they call a tomato hornworm which is uh bigger around than a pencil up to three or four inches long they've got this weird looking spike on each end that looks like a big horn it looks like something they could stab you with but it doesn't work that way that's all show and they can't hurt you other than scare you half to death but uh they are very well camouflaged on the plants and that's what usually is the culprit that i'm finding eating on tomatoes but now there are some beetles out there that could be um, doing some damage to um, what i would get and i use this on my tomatoes fairly frequently uh, i was just talking to the previous caller about a product called spinosad on a tomato plant i like something they call spinosad soap uh, the company is natural guard it's the division of fertilome and not everything they do is organic. But the spinosad soap is totally organic, uh, totally safe for you. It's not going to keep you from eating the tomatoes or anything else. But uh, that's what I would be using because it that one, the spinosad soap controls the beetles as well as controlling the tomato hornworms. So just it, it actually, if you, it comes as a concentrate, but you don't need a lot of it. I just buy it in that little ready-to-use sprayer. And all you have to do is turn that little nozzle 180 degrees and you're ready to go to work and one application should totally take care of the problem
15: okay awesome i'll try that thank you so much have a good weekend
0: spin a sad soap you do the same joy i appreciate the call ah let's see here next up is paul good morning paul hey good morning bob morning sir i
5: i
16: have uh spinach and lettuce in my garden i planted it probably five or six weeks ago it uh-huh. sprouts it looks like my leaves are developing beautifully, and then they're gone. And then they come back to, like, little little buds, and then they get eaten off again. Uh, I thought maybe insects. I sprayed with uh, the product called Organicide. It looks like it's mostly, uh, like, sesame oil. I like uh-huh. said, it's supposed to take care of that sort of stuff. Uh, am I... Is it a a squirrel that's in my garden because my strawberries have been getting taken, my peas and stuff? Is the squirrel eating my lettuce?
0: They they certainly could be. But let me tell you, first of all, you you didn't plant uh, your spinach and your lettuce at the right time. Spinach and lettuce are cool weather plants. We normally plant both of those in October, November. This is the time of year that if they weren't getting eaten, they would be dying out anyway. Uh, they don't like the heat. As a matter of fact, I'll pull up my spinach this week. I just ran out of time and daylight, uh, on my days off this past week. But, uh, um, if you're going to try to grow a leafy green in the summer months, uh, chard is about the only thing, well, actually not even chard, probably kale. Um, you might get away with in the heat, but, uh, uh some people grow what they call summer spinach which is a vining plant actually called malabar spinach and i think it tastes like grass but some people think it tastes like spinach so that's what they call new zealand spinach or summer spinach but uh um you're just awfully late on those things if they weren't getting eaten and i'd I'd be looking for your little bushy tail tree rat friend the squirrel i'd be i'd be much more upset about losing my strawberries than uh uh, it's, it's just the wrong season on those leafy greens uh, you, it's just you, they're going to disappoint you when you point uh when you plant that late, so not real concerned about those, but uh there's still a lot of things you can plant if you're ever over our way, and I don't know phenix may do the same thing, but its shades of green, we've got a little free handout we can give you that is recommended planting dates for both spring and fall. And um, sounds like you're really just getting started with vegetable gardening, and a lot of the success or failure comes from whether you get your things in at the proper time. And uh, unfortunately, March and April are not the time we plant the spinach and lettuces. Those are, those are when those crops are coming to an end.
16: Yeah, I'm really new down here to Texas and gardening. I've gardened, you know, up north and
0: it's a way different beast up there yeah it's a nice thing here you should be able to pick something to eat out of your garden every day of the year i mean 365 there's something in that garden that you can pick and enjoy which i'm sure you didn't have that luxury up north but most of what um you are used to planting in the middle of the summer are things that we may actually grow over the winter months so uh You might want to invest in a book sometime uh, uh, co-authored by uh, Malcolm Beck and Howard Garrett, who will be my guest here in about 45 minutes. But it's called The Texas Vegetable Gardening Book, and it will give you a lot of information Uh, I teach a free seminar every spring and every fall. I think the last Saturday in September is when I'll be doing my fall vegetable garden seminar. And like I say, if you're ever – we're over on Sunset Road, about halfway between Broadway and Jones Maltzberger, and just stick your head in and say, hey, I want one of those free handouts on vegetable gardening that Bob talks about, and uh, we'll give you something that has uh, good guidelines. We, We can't garden by the calendar in South Texas. We have to garden a little bit by the weather but uh, there are certain do's and don'ts, and uh, there are some things we plant that grow and produce in the winter and some things we grow and produce in the summer, and unfortunately, uh, other than the Malabar spinach, which is not a leaf spinach at all, but there are just not many leafy greens that will tolerate our summer heat.
16: Okay. Um, One more quick question. My onions, uh, did I plant those too early? Those have been about six weeks now.
0: Yeah, you plant onions in October here.
16: Well, that's that's probably why some of them are dying out. Like, some of them look really good, and then i noticed, like, in the last week, four of them have just kind of... They look healthy, and then all of a sudden, they're just brown
0: stalks. Well, and they both uh, harvest them and use them as green onions. That's the fun thing about planting onions. The way I plant onions, I, I plant them about an inch apart, and about six weeks in, I'll go in and pull every other plant and use them for green onions. Another six weeks, they're up to little kind of pearl-sized onions. I'm going to pull those. Now I've got the plants about three inches apart, and I'm going to let those go all the way till, uh this time of year when we're harvesting big onion bulbs, so Um, yeah, if you're planting real late, they either bolt, which means you're going to get an onion that doesn't keep, or they just shrivel up and die. So, uh, we can plant a spring crop, but kind of into January, very early February is the cutoff point on growing spring onions.
16: Hmm. I'm learning a lot
0: down here <laughs> <This is laughs> well i' I'll, I'll quote to you one of my favorite quotes, and a lot of my listeners have heard it before but uh a lot of years ago, Will Rogers said, Good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment, so <laughs> you let us help you any way and anytime we can, Paul because gardening should be a joy for you down here, but knowing when it's time to plant all these things, and uh by the way, we pretty much always plant onions as uh Uh, transplants as little plants rather than trying to plant them from seed can be done but that's a whole nother uh you know a whole nother topic uh keep listening and I'll, i'll keep telling you what to do but uh there are some good aids out there that will help you get used to texas a little bit more quickly with a lot fewer failures
16: excellent thanks for your help bob
0: always a pleasure paul thanks for the call this morning all right back to gardening back to the phone lines and john's up first good morning john hi john i think i punched the right button here let go back to hold back to the phone line john are you there tell you what i'm gonna put john back on hold now you need to be listening to your telephone not your radio because there is uh, a mandated several second delay here i'll let uh Let uh, my engineer see if John's still there. In the meantime, I will move on to Don. Good morning, Don. Good
2: morning, sir. I talked to you recently about Zoya grass. Yes, sir. Brown patch. Right. What is the best variety? There's about a half a dozen varieties of Zoya out
0: there I've discovered. What's the best one to contend with brown patch? Well, in my experience, the two which are most resistant to that, one of them is called El Toro. I guess that's sure. a good South Texas name, uh, El Toro, Zoysia, and the other is called Emerald, E-M-E-R-A-L-D. And um, mm-hmm. I used to work on a for a nursery. We had a grass farm, and <laughs> I don't want to tell you how many hours I spent cutting sod and laying sod mm-hmm. and doing all those other things, but uh, I, I've never seen uh, brown patch in El Toro or uh, Emerald Zoysia. It may be possible, but uh, those two are by far the most brown patch resistant.
2: What about Palisades?
0: Palisades, I have not grown. I have not heard a lot of negatives about it, but uh, I've never, I'm have never i never going to act like an expert on something I've never tried. So uh, the reports that I've gotten on Palisades have been that it is uh, fairly resistant, but I've not had that personal experience, so I uh, really can't tell you for sure.
2: Because the source that I'm looking at uh, purchases from is out on 1604, close to where Millburgers is.
0: Is and that from uh, Thomas Palisades. Thomas Stone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Bill has uh, he has good quality grass. I would probably trust his judgment. Now you're going into a sunny area with it, aren't you?
2: Uh, pretty sunny. Uh, parts of it are very sunny. Then I got a big oak tree that some of it will be under, but it gets full more a lot of good morning sun, and I have trimmed out the oak tree to where it's not. A <laughs> umbrella
0: well then you know it's just going to thicken up thicker than ever uh oh, i suspect I palisades it's... will be fine out in the sun one of these days you're going to switch over and plant ground cover under underneath that tree but uh <laughs> i can't say i'm pretty close to a hundred percent of the time i've seen nothing but good grass from thomas stone he has a he has a better track record on grass than uh anybody else that i've done business with in the area so if he tells you it's going to work in your situation I, I think you can probably trust it to do so
2: Okay, I'm putting it down over um, Augustine. When I do the uh, killing of the grass, how long does the how long will it take for the um,
0: vinegar and orange oil to work on the grass to kill it? How long do I have to wait? Well, it's gonna knock it back, you know, very quickly. How big an area is this that you're doing?
2: Um, I'm putting down about six pallets
0: okay i'm not really sure that i'm going to tell you you have to kill the saint augustine i'm going to get in there with a mower set as low as i can set it and just scalp that grass down before i do anything else and um you know if there are any areas that i can't scalp it real close i'm going to take a little bit of time with a grub and hoe because i i can't recommend that you put new grass on top of you know a lot of dead grass blades what we've got to do is be sure that your new grass can get its roots down into the soil and so i want as much of that stuff gone as possible so uh, Mm -hmm. i i'm just going to do a very very low mowing rather than uh try to spray anything and uh um, I mean, you could do that one day, put no, your grass down. As,
2: as close as I can to the ground.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Because you actually okay. want to be chopping on those runners if you possibly can. And um, I, I think that's going to be a better choice and a lot less money and a lot less work than uh, trying to cover that kind of area with vinegar and orange oil.
2: Okay. Thank you very much.
0: And, Don, one other thing is be sure yeah. that uh, as soon well, two things. Be sure that grass gets planted the day you get it. It deteriorates very quickly if it's left stacked. That's any grass. Mm-hmm. And number mm-hmm. two, be sure that you rent one of those water-fillable rollers and roll that yeah. new grass as soon as you put it down. You're not trying to level it. You're trying to take out air pockets between your new grass and the soil underneath. And uh, we use an organic product so you can fertilize immediately. You can actually put some fertilizer down before you put your new grass on top of it, whatever works for you. In the days that we used the synthetic fertilizers, we had to give it six or eight weeks so the grass would have some roots so we didn't burn it up with fertilizer. But using the organic products, I think I'd recommend you put the fertilizer immediately down or it would certainly be okay to put it down first and then just put your grass right on top of it
2: what about texas tea for the fertilizer
0: fine fertilizer made by maestro grow and uh, um, it's it's a very good fertilizer
2: just as long as it's organic
0: as long as it's organic i feel the same way about medina espoma makes good ones nature's creation makes a couple of real good ones especially their alfalfa based premium lawn food uh, Um, they're, you know, that Medina growing green, Maestro Grows Texas tea, those all are the top of the list when it comes to the ones I recommend.
2: Okay. Thank you very much, sir. It's
0: my pleasure. It's going to be a lot of work. Get a case of beer and all the friends you've got, but, uh, you'll sure get rewards afterwards. And, uh, you call me anytime I can help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Let's go back and see if we've got John back there now. John, good morning.
14: Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm
0: good, sir. How about yourself?
14: (laughs) fine except when i pulled the phone out of my pocket i hit the mute button and you.
0: <laughs> well see i'm and not like other mute. other talk hosts would just cut you off and go on i'll come back and find you so i'm glad i got you how can i help
14: okay well we came back yesterday evening late from uh, a little fishing trip and i walked out to look at my garden and in the grass i noticed these dark gray Spots like the size of a basketball. Okay. In a in a semicircle, there's about 14 of them, and some in the middle, and about 25 feet across. And it looks like somebody just made a semicircle with this dark stuff. And I hit it with my foot, and it just poof came yeah. up all kinds of like, dust.
0: Yeah what you're looking at is not dust it's mold spores that's a fungus that is um it's going to be easy to control all you need to control it with is uh, uh just get out and scatter some whole ground cornmeal through that area uh you'll see i mean a week 10 days you should be back to you know having none of that to deal with it's the product of having you know, copious amounts of rain and very little sunshine, and it will go away almost as quickly as it appeared. Um, and again, you could, there are other things you could spray with. You could spray with, uh, oh, garlic would help control it. There are two or three safe uh, fungicides you can use. But me, I'm just going to get out there with a, you know, bag of cornmeal, just uh, whole ground cornmeal. Uh, and again, nature's creations a good name to look for there. I'm just going to scatter that around and water it lightly if Mother Nature doesn't and not worry about it.
14: Okay, I I already, last night I got a bucket and I put some, I always have cornmeal on hand and yeah. I put some in and I watered it down and mixed it up and I said, well, maybe I'll just spray it.
0: You can do morning. that. Yeah, you can do that. That'll work fine as well. You're probably looking at something called septoria and um, it's not real common, but the kind of weather we've had this spring is not real common either. So hopefully yeah. this is the only time you'll see it. I think your grass will fill right back in. I don't think it's a real serious problem for you.
14: It's weird that it's a it's a half moon. I yep. mean, it's almost like somebody just drew it around here and just put like every three feet, put a basketball down, and it turned that color. You know, it's not everywhere. It's not. It's just those little spots.
0: You know, I. I grew up watching Red Skelton with my grandfather on TV, and whenever Red Skelton told a joke that didn't go over, that didn't fly, it'd always say, folks, I just do them. I don't explain them. <laughs> and that's kind of the way I feel about that. I don't know why in the heck it did that, but, you know, it it did it, but I have no idea why.
14: Well, I'm going to get out and get my sprayer working and spray it now before it rains, and uh, maybe it'll soak it in and get, get rid of this stuff.
0: Should do the job for you, and uh, hope it was a good fishing trip.
14: Oh, it was really good. Little, little bit on the windy side and high tide. Like couldn't believe, but uh, that's part of it, I guess. This time of year and all the rain we've had.
0: That's why they call it fishing and not catching. But it's uh, yeah. If uh, it's it's I, I'm a fly fisher myself, and I always say the reason you fly fish is the places you go to do it. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. so, anyway, well, listen, you get it taken care of. You call me anytime I can help. I
14: appreciate it, Bob. Thanks so
0: much. My John. pleasure, John. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. All right, uh, got a full a full bank down there again. I'm uh, going to start with Johnny and Rose. I'll get you the other names in just a minute, but uh, Johnny is up first. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning.
10: Hey, I've got these red oaks that are it can, coming on real good. They're young. This is their second year. Everything came on real green, beautiful, pretty, and now some of the new growth, I guess this might be why they call it a red oak, is coming out. Uh, At first, I thought it was brown on the tree, but it's not. It's the new foliage coming out, kind of a reddish-brown. Is that typical?
0: And are these trees that you purchased, do you have any idea what kind of red oak you got? I can't remember, but
10: I got them from Phanix.
0: Okay, then they're probably a a good variety. Yeah, they come out It's more of a purpley-red, purpley-brown color. Um I just worry and and Phoenix has good trees, and they know what they're doing, but a lot of people wind up with what's called a Schumard Red oak that's fine if you're living in Seguin, but not so fine if you're living in bernie but uh to be a a darker leaf when it comes out is normal i just want to see those leaves have a good green color and not go to a light green as they really develop now the other thing that you probably already know but i'll warn you anyway about red oaks is they hate excessive moisture so uh, water enough to keep them going, but uh, don't overdo it on the water, or you will kill a red oak, just like you do a red bud, just like you do a mountain laurel. So water thoroughly when they need it, but then be sure that soil's dry an inch or two deep before you water again.
10: Gotcha. Uh, they may well be Schumards, and I I live in the New Berlin area. Oh,
0: you're fine with Schumards, then. Yeah. And yeah. then
10: the other question about them is occasionally here and there. Just now, within the last few weeks, I'm seeing uh, some totally dead twigs, and maybe it'll be like, you know, one one cluster of three, maybe four leaves, totally dead brown. But the, the, the stem itself is maybe twice the size of a toothpick.
0: Okay. That, I think, is a little normal, and I think most of what you're seeing is storm damage. You get these winds that start whipping those trees around, you're going to have a few little... Limbs break here and there. I see occasionally we get a real light hailstorm to the point we don't even know it hails because it's just a few chunks of stuff come down. But you know, something physically snaps that little twig, even though it doesn't break it completely off. And what you end up with is just that, that little stem tip that may have eight or 10 leaves on it. And they just get totally brown. They're totally surrounded by bright green leaves. Absolutely nothing to worry about. Kind of normal in South Texas.
10: Yeah, that's exactly what our weather's been doing. Yeah. All right, that's all I had. Thank you very
0: much. You're sure welcome. Appreciate your calling, Johnny. Thank you, sir. Bye. Rose is up next, and it'll be Chicken Joe and Angie. Good morning, Rose. Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you today?
17: I'm doing good, sir. Thank you. Excellent. My question is, uh, I have an avocado tree, and it does give me avocados. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yesterday, I cleaning up the yard i noticed uh it had a i found 54 small avocados like it had like they just fought fell off the tree uh-huh i was wondering what's happening why does it do that
0: is this a young tree
17: no this tree's been there forever and ever okay it's, this tree is probably close to 65 years old
0: oh wow that's a really well established tree is there still a lot of fruit on the tree yes there is okay you know i i don't want to you know and i I can't remember the word now but and it's giving human characteristics to inanimate objects but sometimes that tree and it does this in a chemical way not in a thoughtful way but it says wow i set more fruit than i can develop and it's normal it's just going to drop you know some of that fruit it just um, uh, in fact and i don't know i I don't know if this is a case in an avocado or not, but orchids have been, you know, my hobby and specialty for a lot of years. And the orchid plant has actually evolved to the point that when you have a bunch of flowers on a bloom spike and one or two of them get pollinated, it has evolved to the point that those those forming seed pods start producing a gas called ethylene, which makes all the other seed pods drop off and make all the other flowers drop off, so the plant doesn't try to start trying to make more seeds than it can produce. I think your avocado tree just uh set so much fruit early in the year that somehow, chemically, it says, you know, I've got too many babies. I can't feed them all, so it goes the what it does is just drops a certain amount of fruit to make certain that it has the nutrients left to develop the ones that are still on the tree so i don't think it's abnormal i don't think it's a problem and i sure wouldn't worry about it
17: okay the next question would be do you think i could maybe uh try to uh seed the ones that it did abort
0: no no, the seed is not mature in those. That that seed's not mature until that avocado is fully formed and ready to fall off the tree from being overripe. And at that point, it's okay. going to be probably three inches long. These little ones that dropped off, um, that seed is going to be totally non-viable.
17: Okay. The next question on the diesel and molasses that mixture could it kill uh, eliminate any type of tree?
0: Yes you know,
8: unwanted tree
0: it will kill any tree, whether you want it or not <laughs> it okay, It is good. a it's what we would call a non selective killer. The diesel kills uh the molasses cleans up the diesel, so you can't use it on that tree that you hate right next to the tree that you want to save. It needs to be uh on you know brushy whatever you 're trying to get rid of that kind of needs to be isolated and uh alone my, um, my business partner's husband was talking about. We were cutting cedar and chipping cedar, and he was saying that was the only thing he had found that would actually kill uh, the native persimmon, which in their part of Kendall County is uh, worse than the cedar is. But uh, it is it is a non-selective herbicide. It's going to kill whatever you put it on.
17: All righty. The last question is shoots that do come out of any type of tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially crepe myrtles, I continue continuously cut off the shoots that, you know, grow, start over again. I right. mean, is that going to continue forever and ever? You know, that I'll have to do that? Check,
0: check your crepe myrtles. I f- have discovered since, you know, Howard Garrett's the one that really – brought this to the forefront of what a problem we have of plants being buried too deeply in the ground. And crepe myrtles are among the worst in the world because they come to us as nurserymen, and they're already six inches too deep in the pot. And I find that trees, be it an oak tree or a crepe myrtle, that that are stressed Those are the trees that are going to start making all those sprouts off their roots. Now, other things can do it. Drought can do it. Damage to the tree. I have an oak tree that snapped almost in half, about six feet above the ground, but the whole top's still alive. But, man, all of a sudden I've got... Hundreds of shoots have come off the root system of that tree. I want you to examine your crepe myrtles and dig down around them until you actually find where that trunk is widening out. Not to where you come to roots, because lots of times you get a lot of little fine, fibrous roots that grow In the soil above the root flare. But I'm going to bet you that those crepe myrtles are buried too deeply in the ground. You may have to take four to six to even 10 inches of soil away from the base of the crepe myrtles. But you get that root flare exposed, you will have the occasional root sprout, but you won't have nearly as many as you've been having.
17: Okay, so even if I do have them, just cut them off just for looks.
0: Just cut them off, mow them off, just uh, um, take them off. They're never going to make a you know a a really good plant you can't really transplant them just clip them and compost them
17: all right last question since we've had so much rain uh the granular molasses um i could just kind of like uh throw it out there by hand or
0: oh yeah it doesn't matter whether it's rained or not it uh it doesn't burn as long as you don't just you know make it an inch deep but uh yeah just get out and broadcast it's a perfect thing to do and it uh It'll help just about anything you put it around.
17: Okay, very good.
0: Thank you so much, sir. You have a wonderful day. You do the same, Rose. Appreciate the call, and thank you. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, Chicken Joe's up first, and then we visit with Angie. Good morning, Joe. Good morning,
14: Bob. How are you
0: doing? I'm well, sir. Good to hear your voice. How are you doing?
14: Great. I'm just in town for a few days, and... My irises need deadheading. Uh, they've all finished blooming. But what, I, but what I wanted to ask two things. Uh, one, is it time to feed them? And two, can I send them now to take some of the corms back to Colorado with me?
0: Um, you can certainly, uh, I would certainly deadhead them. And if you want to, you could take them back. Um, uh, the, the thing about all perennials, is the best time to transplant is opposite the blooming season. If something blooms in the spring, the best time to divide and transplant is in the fall. If it blooms in the fall, then the best time to divide and transplant is in the spring. Now, you're going back to a much colder climate, and where we set out ours in October— um, you're pretty cold to be putting out anything that's not well established. So I'm gonna say go ahead. It's not a bad time if you're if you're <laughs> didn't have the blessing of being able to spend the hot months in Colorado, then uh, I would tell you to wait. But I think where you're going to take something back and plant it in a much colder climate, I'd say, yeah, go ahead and divide and transplant your iris. But for everybody listening that's uh, going to be stuck here in South Texas, you guys put it off until uh, uh, this fall. September, October would be the best time. Did that answer the question?
1: Yeah, but should I feed them?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, okay. when you're using organic. Show you do it 365 days a year. It's uh, uh, one benefit is that if there's anything the plants don't use right now, it's going to be sequestered in the ground. It's going to be tied up, uh, and and the process we call cation exchange is going to make it available to the plants when they are ready for it. But by all means, uh, feed great time of year to do it
14: okay super well i hope to see you later today at the world's most beautiful nursery
0: well i hope we are still living up to those standards and would sure love to see you, you uh, appreciate your call joe good to talk to you
6: okay thank
0: you Bye bye. goodbye uh angie's next good morning angie
4: good morning good morning um, hi i have a couple questions one is i had some cornmeal that i had put in a plastic uh tub okay um, and when I went to use it, it has, like, mold, I guess, on it or okay. fungus. Yeah. is do, Can I still use that, or do I need to just put that in there?
0: <laughs> I wouldn't be making cornbread to eat with it, but as far as no, gardening. No, no, <laughs> no that, yeah. that mold is growing on there is probably one of your beneficial fungi, so absolutely no hesitation. Same thing if you find some weevils in it, not a problem at all. Just go right ahead and use it.
4: Oh, good. Okay, that's great. The other thing is, what do you mulch your garden with, your vegetable garden?
0: I, you know, I don't do as much mulching on vegetables as I do on shrubs and things. But when I do mulch, um, I use uh, either compost. It isn't quite finished. Uh, I I use a lot of compost as mulch. If it's an area that uh, I need a thicker mulch, uh, uh, years ago, my business partner and I bought a, uh, a chipper. Uh, and we do a lot of chipping she and her husband and i were were making some piles of mulch several feet tall uh, on our days off this week so i i have the privilege oh, yeah. of being able to chip up trees and i use that mixed with some compost but vegetable garden i use okay. just just not quite finished compost is what usually gets used there
4: oh okay i've tried um i guess pine needles
0: yeah but if- yeah i i like to use things from yeah you know, from plants in your area if you lived uh where there are a lot of pine trees they'd be an excellent mulch but uh um yeah i i live
5: up
4: in dallas area yeah
0: and there's nothing wrong with it but i think you're better with a mulch it's made from native materials
4: oh okay um one other oh well two more questions um So my daughter moved from Austin up to Salt Lake City and they bought a home and they had their, the yard was just soil. Uh They had removed a lot. The previous owner had removed a lot of trees and stuff and um, they weren't in a position to put any grass seed or sod in the, you know, the spring. So Uh it's now it's like a bed of weeds and, I've never, like, planted a a lawn before. Do they need, how do they remove all those weeds?
0: They don't remove them. You just mow them off as low as you can, and uh, up there they're probably going to use a seed mix, which they'll need to get in that area, but you just mow the weeds down and overseed over the top of them.
4: Oh, okay. Um, And then one other. Um, If I want, if I have an area of Bermuda grass, and I need. I want to like turn it into a perennial bed and plant a tree in it. Um, can I just mow that down real low? You're not and,
0: gonna. You're not gonna get rid of Bermuda grass uh, by cutting it. Uh, what you're gonna have to do if you really want to get rid of the Bermuda is wait till hot summer and then water it cover it with black plastic for about six weeks and let it just steam sterilize uh, underneath it otherwise you will never be rid of the bermuda grass so we call it solarization and that's the only way to go all right well as you know don't how for the next few minutes we'll save about the last 30 minutes of the show for more calls but right now i get to visit with one of the world's greatest gardeners and that's the dirt doctor good morning howard garrett good
9: morning everybody.
0: How is everything? How was your trip?
9: Well it was good. I learned something new, of course I always do, uh no matter what, but uh I got to visit a dragon fruit farm. Have you ever done that?
0: I have never done that. Uh tell us about it.
9: Well, I didn't even know what dragon fruit was or, or I didn't think I did. It turns out I had uh, seen it before and had actually eaten it before you know on our trip some years ago in uh into argentina when logan was working down there but, mm-hmm. but dragon fruit is uh you'll see it in whole foods and central markets and different places and, you know in the exotic section it sells for a whole bunch of money per pound <laughs> and all that which
0: is probably why i'm not familiar with it
9: <laughs> it's a um it's really interesting it's the the one you'll see the most common is a real dark reddish purple or or even a deep purple and the fruit is basically the uh, flower bud it's the it's the meat from inside the flower bud. the outside is real rough and everything and i we were going to this farm uh logan's husband bo had run into him somewhere and he wanted to give us a tour and Talk to us about it and all that kind of thing. I think there were some investment <laughs> uh, possibilities uh, to be discussed and all that kind of thing, which I wasn't uh, involved in. But it uh, turned out more than just uh, an interesting fruit. The, the dragon fruit, it grows on a, a, an arboreal cactus. Really? And it looks remarkably li- similar to night blooming cereus
0: interesting
9: when you look into it on the internet and i'm still doing research on it you get you get a bunch of confusing kind of information about it i'm not sure there's a real i may have to do a a, an entry myself that that's the most accurate thing out there and some of the listeners some of your listeners here may know uh some uh, information about it uh, as far as growing in the uh, the taxonomy of it and all that kind of thing. But you can see it listed as Stenoceras, and you can also li- see it listed as Hy- uh, Hy- Mm-hmm.
5: and
9: both of those names. And, of course, the uh, night-blooming uh, cerus is, you know, cl- uh, it's absolutely closely can I mean, it yeah. looks almost exactly yeah. the same. It's just that the flowers you know that I believe in Sarah have that incredible fragrance and are uh, white and apparently they're not edible and and the dragon fruit can range from a white fruit all the way to that deep purple and it's talked about as being extremely nutritious and it's uh, talked about as being an aphrodisiac you know all of these different things and I think I think that's one of the reasons why. I'm, price of it is you know ten dollars a pound or whatever it is whatever it sells for
0: Uh, they they have a good marketing department but it but it's actually an epiphytic cactus i did not realize that at all
9: that's exactly what it is and this guy was talking about all his secrets and everything and i was very impressed with what he was doing and everything but it dawned on me real quickly that it's an extremely easy plant to grow i think the difficult part is uh Ending up with the, uh, the bud, the fruit, without the birds getting them. Apparently, the huh. biggest pest is woodpecker. Comes in, you know, when it's starting to ripen and getting into, it. and he literally puts sacks over each bud uh, when they start maturing. So it's a real labor-intensive kind of thing. But,
0: uh, no, it is, anyway, fr- it is fr- pretty, pretty fr- fascinating. Frost tender, you would have to protect it if you were growing it in Dallas oh, yeah, or in San Antonio. Totally
9: tropical, yeah. Oh, totally
0: tropical. are they growing it like in raised planters? Are they growing it in hanging baskets? How are they cultivating it?
9: No, it's in the ground. They, they do cuttings, and they start them in a greenhouse situation, and they uh, trim them so that there's just one major bud, and it's going up as much as possible, and they grow them on trellises, kind of like uh, grape mines. They grow them on trellises that are about you know, seven feet tall, six, seven feet tall, and it's pretty interesting. I've got some pictures of it. He didn't want me to put pictures on the internet or anything, but I'm going to be able to put at least some of them uh-huh. on uh, dirtdoctor.com and show people more about it. It's... Um, he didn't have any fresh fruit, but he had ice cream. That's one of the <laughs> ways that they sell it, and um, that was kind of interesting too. They talk about being so delicious and everything, and that was one thing that all four of us kind of had the same feeling on was that it was, it was nice, but it wouldn't knock your socks off. Delicious.
0: Well, so there's there's a difference in in having a good flavor and being delicious i know you know i think just americans in general it's got to have if, if something's delicious it means it has to have a lot of sugar in it but i think there are a lot of fun things out there that have a good flavor without being that way so i'll, I'll have to get some and try some it sounds like it take a good deal of room to grow i don't know if i want to because and, and that's same with night blooming cereus. anybody that's ever grown it it pretty quickly will grow you out of house and home if you don't cut it back regularly, but it might be interesting to try a little pot culture, and with some uh, specific pruning, uh, see if you can keep the plant to a reasonable size and still get uh, flowers and fruit off of it.
9: Well, I think you can keep it fairly compact. I think that in the uh, orchard they were about three feet on center. Really? Yeah, and uh, just prune to go straight up and then kind of uh, flare out at the the top. So it was interesting to learn Learn uh, something new by a new plant. Also, uh, uh, he had some true pistachio trees there, so I got some uh, photographs of it. First time I've ever seen a, a, an actual real pistachio tree. And I uh, got, got some photographs of that. He also had some neem growing there, which I do, do, did have some good shots of, but he had a couple of really nice specimens of uh, it. The tropical fruit's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Do, do you all sell the night-blooming cereus uh, there shades of green?
0: We occasionally we will get it in a mix uh, of different uh, cacti and things I don't know of a good source but you know that that whole group of cacti uh, the epiphylums uh, uh, and along with the uh, night blooming cirrus and those they're just a fascinating group of plants they're not at all oh, cold hardy yeah. but um, we don't always have it in stock but we get it occasionally
9: well, I think they're all in the same category of being extremely uh, xeric, and they can grow in shade. You know, that's how they start growing is at the base mm-hmm. of trees, and then they go up. Uh, and one of the things I talked to him about was how when he put them out in the field, he kept them from sunburning, and he talked about the fact that he uh, does it a little at a time in the shade cloth and, you know, kind of
5: uh-huh. re- uh,
9: readapts them or adapt them uh, to the uh, to the sunlight. But they're natural habitat is kind of an understory
0: uh cactus you know well it's i uh, the name is just escaping me right now but there's a, a, a cactus that i actually have in my greenhouse right now that uh i've heard it called rickrack and i've heard it called zigzag and things like that but it's one that just uh oh it just looks kind of like in a, a figure eight just uh stretching up the stem that uh, I remember reading about it. No, oh, man, my my recall's just failing me on this one. But uh, I remember reading about it in one of Graf's books years ago, and they said that it it's from Brazil, but that's how it grows. It starts at the base of a tree, and it may grow 200 feet up the tree, and all the flowers and fruit and everything else are going to be up top. So, uh, golly, I just I, I it's fun learning, and, and you've certainly taught me something today.
9: Well, if anybody missed the first of our conversation here, we're talking about dragon fruit, that's the common name
0: and uh-huh.
9: what the scientific name is, it's kinda of who knows. It's either stinocerus or uh, uh and the not blooming cereus the um just a Google search comes up is Selencerus. Uh-huh. So they're all names that that are different but they're all Around the same thing, and they all all in and serious, so obviously they're uh, yeah, cacti. closely uh, related.
0: Very interesting, very interesting. Well, something I thought I would share with you, I got a question that I just had never really looked into a week or so ago, and somebody called me and asked me if it was legal to grow hemp. And I scratched my head, and I thought, well, gee, you know, I don't really know whether it is legal or not, so we've got a we've got a great sheriff up in Kendall County that I count as a good friend, and our Bernie police chief I also count as a good friend. So I called those two gentlemen, and we had a fairly extensive discussion about whether it was legal to grow industrial hemp. Have you ever have you ever gotten that call before?
9: <laughs> well, it's interesting that you ask. We have gone into that business uh, kind of big time. Oh, really. Yeah, from a uh, consulting standpoint, apparently, <clears throat> you know, there's a huge rush into it right now. Oh, sure. A lot of states have approved it. Texas is on the verge of approving it, if if they haven't already. It's in the, uh, the current farm bill that uh, has been submitted to make it legal uh, across the U.S. Right. And so we're uh, producing the CBD oil. Oil, you know, is what it, mm-hmm. it's all about. And so it's a, it's on the verge of being completely legal. It looks like across the country. Well, uh, but nobody, you know, it's kind of like marijuana. You think that the marijuana growers are really into organics? <laughs> yeah. And as I, I looked into that, I found that they're that's the farthest thing from the truth. They use the worst chemicals in the world and growing. Right right of marijuana and there are a few people that have gotten into it because they they've found out that it works better and everything but growing the hemp and it being a really clean thing is i think going to be a really important thing so doug has got us involved we've got a whole page on uh, uh texasorganicresearchcenter.com uh, about what we're going to be doing it and just basic information about the hemp growing uh, situation there's information on dirtdoctor.com okay. as well here's the the rub though there's a, there's a real real interesting problem with growing it and with consulting on how to grow it We know we can show people how to grow it better <laughs> yep. than anybody with the organic program and healthy soil. But to grow it legally, it has to have a level of the, um, whatever the CBD chemical in it is, of 0.3% or lower.
0: Well, it's actually THC. It's not the CBD. It's the THC, which is the, what do they call it, psychotropic compound. It has to be 0.3% or lower. Right,
9: yeah. That, yeah. yeah I'm saying the wrong, the wrong letters. Right. Those letters are confusing, but the, the problem is... It can go hot, which is what it's called, real easily. And my worry is that the organic program may push it that direction <laughs> even more than a chemical program. And if it shows that level uh, above that number, the current law is that you have to burn your crops, which is stupid. There ought to be yep. some other way to, to do it.
0: Well, That's- it
9: because somebody invests millions of dollars in a bigger operation and plants a bunch of stuff in it because the plants are so healthy that they come up with a higher level of of the uh, chemical in there, it's going to you know, be a very costly deal.
0: Well, and the thing to do, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, here's what our local sheriff told me, is that uh, it will all depend on whether it gets through the state legislature or not, and it is still in play. We've only got a week left in the legislative session, and a lot of uh, bills are going to die. But Texas law still says that any— THC is too much, and uh, when I asked Al and Jim both about it, I said, okay, so uh, your deputy goes out into the field, and he or she finds this plant growing, and there's no way you can look at it and say, you know, okay, you're growing it to smoke, or you're growing it for hemp, because it's all the genus cannabis. Uh, He said, and so what law enforcement typically does is take a sample from the plants send it to the lab, and if it has any THC in it, it's uh, contrary to Texas law, and you can be cited and arrested for growing it. And that's why seeing what comes out of this legislative session uh, is going to be real interesting. So anyone who is thinking of getting into it – needs to be very very cautious about it he said even the federal government contradicts themselves in that uh their agricultural bill said up to 0.3% THC is legal but and the the, the feds still have some things that say any THC at all Uh, is illegal, but uh, state law says that any THC is illegal, so you you better check with your local authorities and see how they're enforcing the law before you decide to get into business with it, because you you could get in trouble, and, and like you say, growing it organically, you're probably going to push up the level of everything in the plant just like it does on sugars and other good things the uh, reasons that organic produce is so much better for you this uh, it, it may indeed uh become a bit of a problem but it's it's going to be an interesting thing to follow and i think uh, uh i think the the secret as to whether um it's going to be in more widespread cultivation is going to be what the state legislature does with it
9: Well, maybe, maybe not. The the U.S. government is about to have it legal uh, across the country, so there's going to be a lot more pressure uh, coming on all the states that have already gone that way. The the way we got into it was the lava sand uh, company that we've been working with a long time is already working with uh, growers that are producing it on a big scale in Uh states where it's already legal. And so uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on the other states uh, that aren't doing it for it to you know be added to the deal, so I don't I don't think there's any possibility at this point that it's not going to be uh, legal across the country. I think the only trick is going to be just that level yeah. of the uh, THC in the product.
0: Right. Well, it's uh, the and, and our friend Doctor Kirby um, is using it pretty widely in his veterinary product, the the CBD. Uh, In this case, capsules, but you can get oils, you can get capsules. And just finding remarkable results in some animals, and some animals just don't seem to respond to it at all. But um, he's using it. Actually, they they have their own Alamo Heights Pet Clinic brand, so to speak. We have one of our dogs has... uh, you know, a a real uh, phobia about thunderstorms and loud noises and things like that, and, and she's taking it, but Dan says for everybody in the business, and this will be real good for you guys, because you, we know how much uh, uh, you'll be testing it, but he said there's just there are just no standards as to how much of the CBD, not the THC, but the CBD is in there, and so anybody that's thinking of using it for themselves or for their pets, be real sure you're dealing with a company, he said because they tested a lot of them, and a number of them just had nothing beneficial in them, and um, but there are, on the other hand, some very good ones, so you all need to come up with some sort of certification or something or other that that shows the research behind it and if you've got a good product out there it should be very popular and very successful
9: well the thing that's uh, turned all the people on so far that have been involved with these folks that we're involved with is uh, the water holding you know ability of the uh, of the lava sand and mm-hmm. making the uh, production just work so much better and everything so you know we're coming at it from that that end and uh It's pretty, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Pretty, uh, pretty exciting. We'll be talking about it, but um, the fact, this, you know, this current administration is just—you continue to be surprised by what ends up in these things that are becoming along, Yeah. And this is one of them.
0: Well, it's uh, I it's an interesting thing to follow and uh we've just got to get the states and the feds on the same page because that's a problem with a lot of things you know does federal law trump state law or does state law trump federal law and the feds can say something is good or say something is bad and then the local authorities say well we don't agree so we're going to make our own laws and a lot will remain to be sorted out. We've got the,
9: the problem. The problem with somebody like Texas, if they decide not to do it, is people just go to another state. So yep. it, it wouldn't be too smart to not do it. So <laughs> I think I think there's going to be some real pressure for you know if if they actually get to the point of not approving it for uh, them to rethink that idea. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out.
0: I can't agree more, but I also. Uh, you know, it's it, one of my one of my friends in the groundwater business. We're following a number of different bills that will affect uh, uh, how groundwater is managed. And his comment, and he says, Texas law is like sausage. You really don't want to know exactly how it's made. <laughs> and I guess I've I've been watching the legislature a little bit more closely. And I tell you, they're they're weird goings on up in Austin. It's uh, I think it's very fortunate that our legislature only meets every other year. Because it's it's just a strange process up there.
9: That's been the case for a long time. I'm afraid yeah, <laughs> may not may not change. But anyway, well, interesting stuff.
0: It was uh, it was a good week from the point of those of us who uh, don't think Roundup is good stuff. I don't know if you were in or out of town with this uh, last jury settlement that came out. Of course, I don't two think,
9: billion dollars. Two yeah, billion. Yep. And it's uh, it's a big deal, and I put that as the headline on our la- last uh, newsletter, the latest newsletter. It, the pressure again is building there, and there's just more and more people looking at how to get away from that stuff, and. The, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the other guy on the radio and riding around here is still, you know, an apologist and uh, recommending Roundup and saying that the, uh, the only thing you need to be listening to is the EPA report that came out that said Roundup <laughs> is okay,
0: you know. And our former and, president, that appointed two or three Monsanto executives to uh, very high government positions, uh, gee, I wonder why. Uh, I wonder why they are so happy with Roundup and think it's so little of a problem.
9: It's amazing. It really is. Uh, the thing that I hope that happens, and I think it's underway. I don't know how far along, but it, the the big boys, the big chemical companies, um, <clears throat> doing work, doing. Uh, Uh, experimentation and trying to come up with new products that will work on even a larger scale than the organic stuff. Uh, That is going to be real key here. On the other hand, there's a lot of organic herbicides out there now that work really, really well. This Pure Grow Weed Crush just continues to uh, amaze me how well it works, and some of the fatty acid products are working better and better, and the technology there is just getting... uh, Getting better every day. It's still the problem. The problem still, and I tell everybody this, is that the Roundup works so well. That's our biggest problem. It works so well from a standpoint of just killing stuff.
5: Right.
17: You know?
9: Right. And as, <laughs> as soon as you know, we come up with some technology that that has that kind of efficacy, we're still going to be fighting that Roundup sales. I think.
0: Well, it's the only thing I think is going to stop it is either for the U.S. government to kind of pull their head out from where it is now and recognize that it very definitely has some carcinogenic potential. Along with this, this article that came out three or four years ago in the journal Entropy, which is a peer reviewed journal, and I'm pretty sure I've seen you that. It's like 30 pages of these are the specific, specific biochemical pathways that tie it to childhood autism. Uh, childhood diabetes, adult Crohn disease, as well as child, as adolescent Crohn's disease. Not to mention everything from dementia to, uh, you know, the uh, the cancers that are what these three cases have been about so far. The non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I, it, it just astounds me that the EPA and others can look at peer-reviewed scientific research and just tend to ignore it because it doesn't agree with what they wanna what they want to believe.
9: Well, unfortunately, they've got the peer review scientific research on, also that says there's no problem. You know, the, the scientists can come up with whatever they <laughs> they want. But yeah. I I, um, I totally agree. I think as time goes on, here we're going to see more and more links. And you know, I just I run into more people that have dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff like oh, that yeah. every day. We've got so many friends that are not much older than me that that are either in the early stages of it or really bad or have already died that it's it really gets your attention now that of course that's not scientific but good grief there seems to be a lot of people that have those kind of problems
0: well and it's it's and it's it's so sad in some cases it hits so quickly and i mean progresses so quickly and in other cases it it really you know is a slow progressing disease and i think bottom line it just it's a it's a whole cluster of different diseases together. It's is more than just one and uh probably has multiple causative factors. But and you talk about peer reviewed research, uh our friend Diane that researches so much she was looking into one of these, and I don't remember the exact time frame, but they were running their lab rat test, so to speak, and they found that the really bad stuff started showing up 12 weeks after exposure. And so they conveniently ended all their their trials at 10 weeks and said, well, we should see anything we're going to see by 10 weeks, so therefore that's our cutoff point when they know good and well that if they ran it out just a little bit further that uh, that their so-called peer-reviewed research wouldn't be showing quite what they wanted it to show.
9: Well, it makes sense because it doesn't have direct toxicity; it yep. has toxicity on bacteria in the gut, and then that has to, you know, then be transferred over to something else in the body, and that takes some
0: time. Exactly. Exactly. I thought one of the funniest things, and I think it was from this last trial, one of the Monsanto uh, experts, you know, whatever. Uh, got up and made the statement that a human could drink a quart of Roundup and it wouldn't hurt them at all, but when offered the opportunity to do so, he decided it was time to end the interview.
9: <laughs> yeah, I remember that story. You know, there, there were idiots that used to do that with Chlordane and oh, yeah, and, uh, and Durzban and all kinds of other products. It's People aren't too smart like that.
0: Well, and again, that's this uh, acute toxicity, which is what the EPA and the federal government has always looked at is it going to kill you right now and they just have refused to look at the you know over time exposure continued exposure and that's when i that's what i think you know has caused the problems with the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma
9: combines with other chemicals too. Exactly. Same thing. they don't look at that uh, at all either anyway we're moving the right direction those great big lawsuits are going that's you know, not the Uh, only thing that we need to have happen but it's certainly a step in the right direction
0: well you and I and our listeners know just going organic growing everything you can for yourself and uh, following the dirt doctor's good work and supporting torque to help us do even more good peer-reviewed research Uh, those are all things we need to be doing and uh, we enjoy being part of it
9: Yeah, look at that great art on DirtDoctor.com that you can purchase (laughs) by the Dirt Doctor, the original art, and support the Texas Organic Research Center. Go out and plant your dragon uh, fruit today, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week.
0: Look forward to it, Howard, as always. Glad you're home safely, and look forward to our next visit. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. Bye. Mr. Howard Garrett is Dirt Doctor. DirtDoctor.com is uh, uh, just the best website on the radio. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Elaine and Sharon and Deborah. Uh, let's get started with Elaine. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning.
11: Um, I have a Myers lemon tree. put it in the ground about four years ago after it lived in a pot for five years. Uh, I noticed this year that I've got three or four limbs with thorns. It's okay. never in
0: Um back. Are these... Are these limbs originating from right at the base of the plant, or are they just further up the tree itself?
11: They're right up in the top of it. Okay. And two years ago, uh, I did have a couple of branches get nipped by the freeze. Uh huh. But the rest of the tree was fine. Okay. So do, do I need to cut them out?
0: I probably would, and because here's the reason. Now, are the sh- are the thorns really short, or are they really long?
11: They're real short right now, yeah. uh, but there are no fruit on. Um those branches where are there are fruit on the other branches.
0: Then I don't think you have anything to lose by cutting them out. Originally, all of the improved Myers lemons were thorned, and then they had, it's just a genetic sport, so to speak, uh, they had some limbs show up that did not have the thorns on them, and so that's what they started using as their graft wood, their bud wood, and they came up with a thornless Myers lemon just as they came up with a thorn. Mexican lime, but it 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 occurred through a genetic instability, and what has apparently happened in your tree, it's just decided to revert back, and it's probably still this is not the rootstock sprouting out. This is just an upper portion of the tree that, for whatever reason, went back to its original genetic expression, which was to have thorns. So um, I'm probably going to cut those limbs out and just encourage the growth of the thornless limbs. And other than that, nothing should change. You should get plenty of fruit. It should be absolutely delicious fruit. And it's kind of like when you look at a plant like a a variegated uh, Pittosporum. Will sometimes have some green limbs show up, or a variegated fig ivy will sometimes have some green portions of the vine show up. You just cut those out, or eventually the whole thing will be back to green because the green is stronger. Than the variegated yeah. form. This is the same way in your lemon. The thorny limbs are probably a little stronger than the others. You do not want to give them a chance to dominate. You want to go ahead and cut them out and force the plant to put on more of those nice thornless limbs, which is uh, one of the things that attracted you to that plant.
11: Okay, well, this is, uh, I've been two years without fruit, and this year I've got quite an abundance of fruit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very happy about that. Well.
0: <laughs> You enjoy, and you get your pruning shears out of the limbs that didn't do it right this time around.
11: Will do. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome, Elaine. Thank you. Bye. All right. Let's let's uh, let's talk to Sharon. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Good morning.
18: Uh, I have some, well, their volunteer came up in my yard, and I, I know that one of them is uh, zucchini squash, and I think there's some watermelon among, but anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, something is cutting the leaf at the top, right at the base of the stem. Okay. At the, at the top of the stem, and it's cutting the leaves off, and they're gone. What, what do I use to, to stop this? And what is it?
0: Well, it could either be a squirrel, which is a distinct possibility. That you I almost
18: haven't seen squirrels around
0: the other possibility, which is probably actually more likely uh, there 's a big old fuzzy caterpillar it 's called a woolly bear uh-huh. they They hide out during the day, they are masters of hiding they, I guess they actually dig their way down to the leaf litter and things like that, and they come out at night to do their chewing, and they just kind of eat as they go. Uh, one thing you could do is go out at night with a flashlight and see if you find the culprits at work. Um, the uh, the woolly bears are very easily controlled with uh, the BT, um, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis thuricide, whatever name you get it under. Yeah. Just don't spray anything except uh, the leaves on your cucurbits, whether they're squash, watermelons, cucumbers, me- uh, or cantaloupes. Those are all in the mm-hmm. same big group. Uh, But mix up your Bt, add a little bit of molasses to it, and just uh, restrict your spraying to those plants. And uh, if it is caterpillars, which I think is likely, you should stop them completely.
18: Okay, okay. Well, they're just eating all the... Leaving the stems and eating the leaves,
0: and, and just, we don't want that because we
18: are completely gone.
0: Yeah, and we need those leaves to support the other fruit that we want to eat. So I would definitely work to get them under control. You and could also—they're
18: le- eating the leaves that's on the inside.
0: Right, right. Well, I—I I think it's almost certainly the big old caterpillars, and BT should literally solve your problem overnight.
19: Okay, thank you.
0: You're sure welcome. thanks for the call. All right, we got Kathy back, so uh, good morning, Kathy. Good
19: morning, Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for uh, calling.
19: I have a terrible problem. I have a Sego palm, and for two years now, I've been fighting this thing like crazy, trying to keep it alive. And it evidently is a female from what I've read, and uh, it gets babies on the side. It gets babies at the bottom and it got a big pink thing at the top, mm-hmm. and they said that's babies coming out. Well, every one of them that came out was dead within two inches. They all came out dead.
0: Okay, now these and are I, the ones on the top or these ones on the side and bottom?
19: The ones on the top, Okay. All of them.
0: Well, the ones that are coming out on the top are not – baby plants that is the female plant deciding to make seed and while it is in the seed making process somebody just gave you bad information on what was going on there
19: they told me not to cut the seeds off they said do not cut those seeds
0: off no i i wouldn't worry about doing that what is going to happen is down underneath that kind of it's real tough and wiry it looks feathery but it's very 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 tough
19: yeah, I know it sticks, too. <laughs> and,
0: yes, it does. And what you're going to find are some red. They're about as big as jelly beans, You're and some of them a little bit bigger than that. Um, I've seen those. They're,
19: they're, they're starting to die now. Well,
0: they will, they will go ahead, and uh, the seeds will mature. But all that tissue around where the seeds are formed does die, turns brown, and uh, uh, it won't happen until next year. But then your female plant is going to go back to making more fronds up on top. But sago palms, I mean, when they decide it's time to reproduce, they totally stop putting on any foliage whatsoever. And, uh, it's just, you know, you have male plant plants, you have female plants. Obviously, you have a female plant. And what you're seeing up on top is what we call the cone, which is the structure yeah. that actually makes the seeds. So, uh, I'm not hearing anything that's abnormal. Now, the one thing, if you don't already know, those seeds and all the stuff related to it are very, very toxic to dogs. So if you have puppy dogs, don't.
19: No, I don't. I don't. It's in my front yard, so hopefully... My neighbors are good about keeping their dogs there. well. Uh,
0: run them off if you see any dogs near it because it's frequently fatal if dogs get into it and i don 't know why yeah. a dog would want to eat the seed or play with the seed. Now, those little things that are appearing on the sides, those can actually be turned into separate little plants. You do that in yeah. August or so. you can cut them off and pot them up, and each one of those will grow into a whole new tree. but what you're, you're seeing up have. on yeah what you're seeing up <laughs> on top is uh, is the seed producing structure and it will appear to shrivel and die, but the seeds that have been pollinated have been fertilized. Those are going to go ahead and develop totally normally.
19: Okay, let me ask you this, because in, when I lived in Brazoria at one time, uh, we had 12 inches of snow on Christmas Day. I don't know if you ever remember that, oh, but yeah. Brazoria, Brazoria, Texas did. Anyway, all the Segoe Palms in Lake Jackson, a town next oh, next to us, has sagel palms all the way down the street, right. and they all froze, mm-hmm. so they went and cut the tops off of all of them, just cut the whole top up like looked like with chainsaw, yeah, and they all came back, yeah, so could I do that? And just start over.
0: You could do that if you wanted to. I don't necessarily recommend it because we are somewhat colder and they don't come back as vigorously. And I would certainly not cut them to the point where you took all the foliage off. you. What What is more likely to happen is if you cut the top off, some of those little pups are developing on the side. They're going to grow up and, you know, in effect, make the new multi-trunk plant. It's going to get a lot bigger, going to take off a lot more room. But if you wanted to take and just kind of shave off that kind of ugly-looking cone on the top of the plant, I would do it very, very carefully, but uh, you certainly could do that.
19: That's that's what I meant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, my landlord told me, uh, this is a l- release in this house, but he said, if you want to just dig it up and get rid of it, I don't care. Well, do whatever you, you, want you
0: trim it, it as you need to.